the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Lethal Weapon, starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Gary Busey. Jingle bell, jingle bell, (laughs) jingle bell rock. Corey's walking around with his... And he's dancing, <laughs> singing a flare. This is our Christmas special airing on Podcasting After Dark. It's going to be great. It's not going to be it's not gonna two suck. hours or less. It's going to be three plus. You know what you got. And all you Patreons, you get more. <laughs> hey, everybody, guess what? Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. It's it's our Christmas special. I don't know why I'm talking like Gilbert Godfrey as Dracula, but I am. Because tonight, Corey Stevenson and I will be doing something very special. Our Christmas episode ah, 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 ah. I already screwed the pooch because I I accidentally introduced the co-host without talking so Corey Stevenson is joining me as always Corey how are you tonight ho 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 <laughs> I'm doing good I'm excited to talk about your holiday pick uh, for the year and mine will be coming in two weeks with a special holiday TV obscura in between so it's a full month of Christmas celebrations and I I'm excited to kick it off with a movie that is so near and dear to my heart too. Well, 35 years ago, on March 6th, of all days, (laughs) fuck, it totally messed up my mojo because I was like, this movie must have come out around the holiday time because it's a holiday movie. No, it came out in March of 1987. Lethal Weapon. That is the movie we are talking about tonight. Lethal Weapon came out in March of 1987. It is celebrating its 35th anniversary. Well, its official anniversary already passed. But you know what? It is a Christmas movie from beginning to end. It starts with a Christmas song. It ends with a Christmas song. It is a Christmas movie. And it is my Christmas pick. I cannot wait to break it down with my sleaziest of sleaze, life mate, podcast partner, 
lover from another mother. Uh, <laughs> man, all that sounds kind of gross and groovy, but I dig it. Um, yeah, we're talking about Lethal Weapon tonight, baby. Dude, and it, you're kind of you know sticking with your theme because last year you did Trancers as your Christmas movie, and that is a Christmas movie. And yes, boy, oh boy, you know, I know everyone's like, oh, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. And yes, it is, and I consider it as such. But come on, guys, you got to put Lethal Weapon up there. Like almost every single Shane Black script, it takes place at the holidays. It sure does. I, I, I think I started Christmas way back when with Invasion USA. Mm-hmm. And then I did yeah, that was your Trancers. First, yep, that was your first year. Then, tra- uh, Well, Trancers, then Trancers, this is our fourth Christmas movie because we're in our fourth season. So I can't remember what... Maybe the first season we didn't really get a theme going. I think I think it went, um, uh, like you said, Invasion USA and then Trancers. But guys and gals, we're on our fourth year. Now we have, we've done so many movies, I'm having a hard time keeping track of when we did them. Oh my gosh, me too. Um, it, it turns out I chose this movie because I had other movies in the stack, uh, uh, kind of in the queue, but this was a last minute audible because I realized that it's the 35th anniversary of this movie. Uh, five years from now, well, gosh, who knows what we'll be doing at that point. Podcasting After Dark may be live on Shutter, you know, of all <laughs> places. Um, you, you never know. It could happen. And so I thought, let's just pull the trigger on this bad boy, pull the multiple triggers on this bad boy, shoot, 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 shoot. And man, oh man, what a what a blast from the past. I mean, it's safe to say that you and I both collectively have probably seen this movie a hundred times. If not um, more, Yeah. If not more, I I hadn't watched it in years, but then watching it again the other night to break it down, I was reminded of, oh my God, how much I love this movie and how excited I am to talk about it with you. Yeah, same dude. Uh, this was super heavy in my rotation as a kid. Um, probably watched Lethal Weapon 2, uh, maybe a, just a smidge more, but it was pretty much tied for Lethal Weapon 1 and Lethal Weapon 2. Back on our Adventures of Ford Fairlane review that Zach broke down, I believe that was in Season 1, I mentioned on there that Ford Fairlane was one of the reasons I wanted to move out to L.A. This Lethal Weapon, pretty much 1 and 2, or was the other half of that equation. It was Lethal Weapon and Adventures of Ford Fairlane. These were my my L.A. you know fantasy movies. Like right, you know, I, I romanticized L.A. because of these films. Um, I also wanted to maybe be a police officer for a little while when I was a kid, and that was mainly in part because of Lethal Weapon. And like you, I I watched this so much through my elementary, you know, whatever, middle school, high school, early college and everything, then, you know, kind of hit my late 20s, early 30s and just kind of stopped watching it. And, you know, for no reason other than you just kind of move on to other things. And so coming back around to it, like you, I was just like, it's like falling back into the arms of an old friend. You're like, I I remember you. I love you. It's just, there's so much, everything about you. I love. And, And this movie isn't perfect at all by any stretch of the imagination, but Boy, oh boy, is it awesome. Now, does our knowledge of Mel Mel Gibson nowadays taint how I view this film? There's a couple lines of dialogue that kind of jumped out a little bit harsher now than, uh, than I think maybe I picked up on back then. But, you know, we talked about it before, man. I'm... I'm a pretty left-leaning guy, um, and I know you are too, uh, but I'm not like a massive like cancel culture type of guy. I really try to 
put the the separate the artist from from the art and everything and sometimes that's hard uh but with mel gibson he's he's a part of my dna i'm not going to defend the guy or his political beliefs but i grew up with this dude and just seeing him in this and mad max and stuff i just i love the man and i just i have a hard time like separating you know you know what i mean like like kind of I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying. I'm trying not well, to get canceled myself here. <laughs> no. Well, I'll, I'll 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 give you my spin, and it probably lines up with yours. But you know, the guy is probably a piece of shit based on all the things he's said and done in the past, and clearly has demons uh, that he has not exercised. And he's been welcomed back, so to speak, to Hollywood. So there's something to be said about that. Uh, I don't know if that makes Hollywood look bad or. You know, who knows? Maybe he's starting to maybe he got therapy. Maybe he went through some sort of, uh, you know, support to kind of fix the things going on in his life. I don't know. I don't know the guy personally. All I know is uh, in 1987, I didn't know anything about him and his backstory. In fact, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s before TMZ came out, I didn't know anything about so many actors and musicians that we know about nowadays. So. You know, it kills me that we know too much stuff about these people because it it, it taints the way we see them. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm of the opinion that we can still love and appreciate their work that they've done prior to that. I have not seen a Mel Gibson movie since he became a uh, quote unquote, you know, piece of crap. But uh, you know what? Would I? I? I can't answer that. I don't know. So I don't I can't speak for the dude now. Based on what I've heard, he sounds like not the greatest guy. Um, but again, I don't know him personally. And in 1987, I had no clue whatsoever. And we're not reviewing this Mel Gibson movie. We're reviewing a movie that's created by a bunch of awesome artists and Mel Gibson. And when we talk about Mel Gibson, we're not, not going to talk about Mel Gibson. We're going to talk about Riggs. Riggs, you know? and, Riggs. <laughs> it's the Riggs is the character that we're going to be talking about. So, and it's really interesting. Yeah, like Corey said, the parallels of things that he says and does in this movie based on what we know about him now. And we think, man, maybe, uh, you know, fiction's a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more truth to the fiction in our world. Yeah, maybe some of it seeped through. Um, I took some notes, so when we do the breakdown, I'll call out some stuff that sort of, you know, made me cringe a little bit. But aside from that, I'd say this movie holds up spectacularly. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the entire series. Uh, you know, warts and all, I just, I love the meta plot line of Riggs and Murtaugh becoming better friends into the point where Riggs like, like becomes a part of the family, the Murtaugh family. I love that sort of that overarching thing that happens during the course of all four movies. Uh, part three is my least favorite. I never dug that one too much, but rewatching this one, I'm sort of like, I'm surprised or I got, I got, you know, I forgot how dark this one is compared to the other ones. And I think they yeah. progressively get less and less dark as they go along. But I I need to rewatch two again to see. I feel like the, the darkness really sort of falls off after this one. Like this one's the darkest of all four of the movies. But that also makes it kind of stand out and makes it a bit grittier. And they don't really, it's not as much comedy in, in the first Lethal Weapon as the later ones, you know? Yeah, and uh, before I chose this movie, and Corey and I kind of talked about, well, once I chose this movie, actually, 
we said it falls within the category of podcasting after dark because it is a it's not necessarily it's not a cult film by any means at all but it was definitely a movie that was not a film i think my parents were too thrilled that i would that i had seen back in the day because yeah. i was 11 years old Corey was younger than me when he saw it i was, and, I was nine when it came out yeah yeah, and I remember I saw it on VHS. I did not see it in the theater, yeah. and my I do believe my brother did rent this movie. Um, so there you go. But but it falls in that category of a movie that I, we were not supposed to see as kids. Uh, throwing it back to our first season where we really were hammering home that that theme. Yeah. Um, and you know I have not seen. I'm not a fan of the franchise. I think overall, uh, I, I do appreciate the second one, though. I didn't see the third and fourth and fifth one. I don't, or there is a fifth one coming out, I think, right? Oh, um, I, I think there is. Okay. Actually, yeah, there is because uh, Richard Wenk, who we interviewed on the show, was in the process of scripting Lethal Weapon 5 when we interviewed him. That's so, right. Uh, I forgot about I that. He's all, yeah, the director of Vamp and also the screenwriter of the Equalizer movies. Yeah. Uh, go check out that interview. But, um, yeah, I, I do love this film. I think it's an 80s classic. I think it's an iconic action classic. Um, you know, our, our good friends at Action Action probably would agree that this is in the top five of all time 80s action movies uh, for sure. But shit, man, like it, it's it's a cr- Christmas tradition for me to it was a Christmas tradition for me to watch this every year. This and Die Hard, like, because yeah. action is probably my favorite genre, and definitely, definitely watching this one and Die Hard was like, oh yeah, that's a, it's a no brainer, you know, to watch these those two movies. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very happy that you brought this one to the table, and it, yes, it is a a mainstream movie. Though I will push back and say I don't think a lot of people talk about this series uh, now as much as as they used to back in the day. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, yep, exactly. (laughs) I think it's uh, the Mel Gibson scenario here. Uh, The Mel Gibson conundrum, I should say. Um, But... It's it's perfect because I mean it's it's violent it's action packed there's nudity in the first like three minutes of the film it is there's porn yeah it is truly a pad movie and yeah I I didn't see it in the theater uh, you said it came out in March that makes sense I saw a lot of the summer movies with my dad I mean just the summer prior I saw Aliens with my dad so he probably would have taken me to see it. But I wouldn't be surprised if I saw it that summer on VHS. He probably rented yeah. it or something. Or that on, seems about right. Yeah, or on HBO or Cinemax, whatever the hell it got licensed out to. Um, but I know I saw it super early in my life, and it just became a mainstay ever since. And yeah, if my mom walked in, she probably would not have been too thrilled uh, to have me watch it. So really, it's, it is the perfect pad movie. Um, I will say this, bit of a bit of a reality punch to the gut finding out that you know first off Murtaugh the character is 50 and which is only six years older than I am currently right now five and a half years technically um and he's just getting gray in his beard and it's like oh my god like holy shit but then another gut punch is the fact that (laughs) fucking Danny Glover was actually 40 when he played this role here and which is I'm four years older than that so I couldn't feel any older right now you know (laughs) Well, I guess that makes me feel even older. But um, but yeah, I, well, I will say that I think uh, dudes in the 80s did not take care of themselves quite as well as they do now. 
That being said, Mel Gibson took better care of his body back then yeah. than I think he does now. Yes, agreed. So, uh, but I mean, I was reminded watching this movie now of all the surprises of things that I didn't pick up on as a kid that I now pick up on as the cast and crew involved in this film. And I go, wow, what a pedigree, what a resume yeah. of talent this movie has. Um, starting at the top with the director, Richard Donner, rest in peace, who passed away actually um, a little over a year ago, July of 2021. Yeah, that was a rough one. I always liked Richard Donner. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy is, you know, without a doubt, one of the greatest directors of all time, I think. The, you know, the, it, the, the man responsible for Superman, Lethal Weapon, Goonies. I mean, those three movies right there and franchises, you know, with, with the Lethal Weapon franchise, um, the toy, you know, it's like and Superman, too, which is arguably one of the, maybe better than the original yeah. Superman. Uh, I think a lot of people would would agree. You know, he didn't direct a lot of movies, but the ones that he did do are amazing. He, he directed one of my, probably my second favorite uh, Christmas movie of all time, which is Scrooged. Um, there you go. And he also directed Maverick, which is a movie that I really enjoyed when I was younger, but I haven't seen it for forever. You know, the one with uh, James Garner and Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster. Yeah, I, I mean, I I would be down to revisit that movie. I haven't watched that in a long time either. Um, yeah, I mean, he like I said, he didn't do a lot, but what he did do was great. Was very very Can, memorable. And actually, um, you know, Conspiracy Theory is a really good movie in my opinion. Oh, the Julia Roberts Mel Gibson movie. I saw that one. I think I saw it right when it came out on VHS. But I actually enjoyed that one too. I mean, honestly, I know that a lot of people don't love it, but. I grew up on Lady Hawk also. I had the biggest fucking crush on Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie as a kid. Um, and I loved that film as a kid. I, I haven't seen it probably since I was like 11 or 12. But it was one of those movies that I loved at that certain age. Me too. Man, Rucker Hauer. What a, what a beast. Written by, of course, Shane Black. And I love Shane Black's IMDb photos probably from, from like... His IMDb photo is probably from 20 years ago. Yeah, of course. Because uh, he does not look like that now. Dude. But you guys know who Shane... But so it's written by Shane Black. Uh, uncredited was Jeffrey Bohm. I think Jeffrey Bohm polished the script uh, because Shane Black wrote this when he was like 18 or 19 years old, right? In college. Yeah, when he was in, I think, UCLA or USC. Um, and it was super dark. Like the, the original script was much darker than it is. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think it was probably toned down by Je Jeffrey Bohm a little bit. Um, but Shane Black, Jeffrey Bohm. Yeah, we'll, we'll mention who Jeffrey Bohm's some of his credentials too in a minute. But yeah, go for it with uh, Shane Black. Yeah, I just want to call out, man. Obviously, he will always be Hawkins, no, in uh, in Predator. Um, but like some of his newer movies that I love, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was great. Uh, the Nice Guys is fucking great. Uh, the Predator, fucking terrible. Yeah, um, I saw that with my boy Terry, and I was like, what are we watching? What the hell happened? I mean, yeah. just like, that's such a disappointment. And I know, you know, Fred Decker has also like gone on record to be like, try to defend that film. Um what wound up on screen is not good. Yeah. It's not good. No, it's, it's, it's fucking terrible. But of course he did write one of, I uh, penned one of our pad movies, uh, monster squad. And he penned a movie that 
we're, we've been toying about going doing it for the uh, the two dollar late fee crossover at some point. Maybe when if we don't get to it, we swing back around to my pick in like three years from now. I'll pick it. But uh, the last Boy Scout. Uh, that's another movie that I fucking love. I loved Taylor Negron as the villain in that. I always think he's fucking great. But man, the last Boy Scout is another fun movie, and it's directed by Tony Scott. Yeah, and I haven't seen that movie since it came out in the theater, so uh, it'll be fun to revisit that down the road, Yeah, whether it be on this upcoming $2 late fee uh, crossover or in the near future. Let's talk about Jeffrey Bohm, though. Yes. Jeffrey Bohm uh, is also a he's a writer, producer, director. I think he polishes a lot of scripts in Hollywood because he worked on uh, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Inner Space, Lost Boys, like already I've just mentioned three movies that are considered, you know, classics or, or semi-classics of the 80s. And and he also worked on a TV Obscura show, The The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Yeah, not a bad resume. He's, he was one all, of the creators right of that show, by the way. Oh, wow. Even more impressive. Yeah. Even more impressive. Um, so this film is also known for having... Uh, Joel Silver as a producer. Joel Silver, who started out, I think, with The Warriors, okay. another pad movie, and a movie that $2 late fee will be covering next month, or this month, actually. Um, Joel Silver is a powerhouse and, uh, you know, has a reputation in Hollywood, good and bad, I think, a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, people like working with the dude, and he's he's responsible for some of the biggest action blockbusters of all time yeah i mean just gonna call out real quick he's responsible for a a favorite of both mine and diallo from tv obscura he produced uh, speed racer the 2008 movie he did and i think joel silver can be held in that category of a producer that actually enjoys movies versus just wanting to make money off movies yeah. because he he seems to be a true fan of cinema versus some of these you know, dick wads who just like basically dictate the direction a movie should go in uh, and can butcher a film. Like Joel Silver seems like he's like a guy that directors like to work with. He seems that way anyways. One one of the few movies that I have not seen of his is that, um, you know, the fifth Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, remake called The Invasion came out in 2007 uh, with uh, Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. That, Not I've, bad. I've, okay, I've never seen that one. And I like all Body Snatcher movies to some degree and in some shape or form. By the way, the one uh, with, um, oh crap, what was her name? Gab- Gabriel. Uh, Anwar. Uh, yeah, that one might pop up on pad at some point because I love that one. And I had the movie, I had the poster in my room for that one. Me too. Well, that's so weird. weird. Abel Ferrara. Yeah. Yep. Yes. That was an Abel Ferrara movie. Yeah. So yeah, Joel Silver, dude. And he's awesome because he does everything from action to, to genre films, like both sci-fi and horror. So I, I think, I think your assessment is correct. He probably does just like movies. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I'm going to jump over to the music composer for this film because there's two of them. And one of them <laughs> for- is, it's in the way that you use it. Burr, burr. Another one who uh, is interesting now in his yeah. in this stage of his life. Yeah. Uh, but first, Michael Kamen, music composer Michael Kamen, has worked on Robin Hood, the Kevin Costner movie, which Diallo loves. 
Um, you know, obviously <laughs> Lethal Weapon, X Men, Down on DeMarco. Back in the day. <laughs> Come on. I mean, it, I liked it too. Don't Damn English Oak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not. Uh, it, it's. I have nothing against the dude or against that movie at all. Uh, but Michael Kamen is has worked on a lot of movies like The Iron Giant, uh, a great Event Horizon. Gosh, Mr. Holland's Opus, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, you know, like the list, a last action hero. The list goes on and on. He he's he's a really uh, talented talented composer, and he's paired up with Eric Clapton. So Eric Clapton, I think my favorite era of Eric Clapton is the '80s. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Like everything that Eric Clapton did in the '80s is gold, in my opinion. Um, the, the song that Corey just beautifully just hummed or to, uh, sang, um, it, it's off of an album it, besides it being in the color the, of money. I was going to say, yeah, the color of money. Yeah. It's on an album of his called, um, well, Zach's looking it up. Fun fact. As I was prepping for this episode, I was listening to that song on repeat. The album is called August. It is a badass album. Um, if you want like a. Like a great, he he duets with I think Tina Turner on one song on that album. Um, it, it's got like a fusion of kind of synth, a fusion of synth and guitar. Actually, the John Mayer, whether you like him or not, he his his uh, uh, I think it's his newest album definitely borrows highlights from that album August, which is I I think it's to me it's my favorite. Um, uh, Sob Rock is the name of the John Mayer album. Anyways, uh, really good. It's too bad that Eric Clapton kind of went off the cuckoo train and, you know, COVID denier or whatever. It's kind of COVID cuckoo. Yeah, that um that album August came out in 1986, um, but on Spotify they they have a remastered version that was remastered back in 2007. And yeah, it's in the way that you use it is very, very high in my rotation, but I think I'm going to go and actually listen to the whole album itself uh, one of these days. I think you'll really like it. Okay. you really like it. Let's jump into that cast, baby. Come on, cast. Um, Give me that cast. I mean, some of these we might just hit and go over because Mel Gibson, do we need to say more? Yeah. Okay, but let's just do this because if they're so well-known, what's your favorite Mel Gibson movie? Oh, Mad Max for sure. Like character-wise, um, yes. I, I had Max Rokotansky followed by Martin Riggs are probably my two of my favorite of his. Okay. Okay. Yours? I would agree. I would actually agree with that. I think overall movie, Lethal Weapon. Character, Mad Max. Okay, okay. Okay, I, I feel you. I got you there. Okay. Uh, and one hell of a director, too. Uh, Man Without a Face is a beautiful film. I really liked that when I was a kid, too. I saw that, and I was like, I watched it when I was by myself at like my you know, my dad's house because I had nothing but time to kill as a kid um, and I you know, didn't have a car or anything. I was like, oh, let me check this out. I was like, you know, that was really fucking good. And uh, obviously Braveheart as, as well, which is a movie that I very much enjoy. Never seen it. Okay, all right. That, I can yeah. see that. I mean, like I've only seen Titanic once on a on an airplane with no sound, so I technically have never seen that. You know, it fucking whatever. It happens. Same deal. Yeah. Same deal. I'm like, I, I just I did, didn't have time to see the big big budget blockbuster. Yeah. Um. How about well? So he plays Martin Riggs, yep. playing Murtaugh. Roger Murtaugh. Glover. <laughs> Danny Glover. I not gonna lie, my. My favorite fucking movie is probably Predator Two, um, but this is my this is my again this is my second. I I love lethal the Lethal Weapon series and I love Roger Murtaugh. Nice, nice. Well, I would go with Grand Canyon, which was directed by Lawrence Kasdan. It's like a, the 
Big Chill 90s version of the Big Chill. Okay. I'm I'm a huge fan of the Big Chill, so maybe I need to check that one out. I don't think yeah, I've it, ever it's a drama. It. It's got a phenomenal cast. Uh Steve Martin, Kevin Klein, Mary um Mary Stuart Masterson or whatever. No, Mary uh um, Mary Elizabeth Antonio or whatever her name is. Uh well, it's actually the the same Mary from uh Sneakers. There's something about Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta I gotta say it because it's I know well you gotta say it because someone's driving off the road right now yelling at us Mary McDonald there Mary you McDonald. go <laughs> yeah. there and, you and, go. oh sorry sorry and Mary Louise Parker and Alfre Woodard and you know it's got an amazing cast so yeah go check it out so sa- it out. same same question for Gary Busey as Mr. Joshua now that's easy silver bullet Uncle Red is my template for unclehood and how I, I interact with my nephew is is because of of him and Silver Bullet. Wow. Uh, okay. I love him in that. I love him in a very little known film called Eye of the Tiger, where he p- basically plays like a vigilante, not a vigilante, but like a, it's a revenge movie. I can uh, I can see the cover in my mind's eye. I know exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Go check out Eye of the Tiger. I think that's actually my favorite. Okay. Po- people might go, oh, Point Break or under siege at lethal weapon i mean this was a big turn for him this is kind of the first time i'd ever seen him play a villain so now he he did say that um he credits this for for sort of bringing back his his floundering career sort of reviving his career at the time but this is still pre um motorcycle accident gary Busey, right Yes, it is. And honestly, he, he looked dramatically different. Yeah, and honestly, this is like of all the sort of the mainstream stuff, this is the this is a good-looking Gary Busey at this point. Yes, it's too bad. It's too bad, you know. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, he, he kept working and everything, but it's just a shame that he sort of became a joke, you know, later, but I mean, it's just, it's not his fault. It's, it was, you know, a motorcycle accident. It's, it's not his fault. And don't forget the fact that I think he was like an Academy Award nominated actor at yeah. one point. So, uh, you know, how the mighty have fallen, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, Mitchell Ryan. Mitchell please. Ryan, who I used to confuse with Tim Thomerson as a kid. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you smoke? <laughs> Do you smoke? Dude, fucking uh he he's so fucking great in this, but he I mean, so Mitchell Ryan has played uh you know, he's been in a bunch of movies. Gross Point Blank, the Halloween <laughs> uh what is it the uh was that the Revenge of Michael Myers? The, the curse, or, curse of Michael Myers. Curse. Yeah, it was in that. Is that the one with the with the with the with the pentagram guy at the end? That's you got to ask David. You got David Irons, buddy. Tell tell us <laughs> is that that one? I don't know. I don't I think I blocked it out. Yeah, I don't really. I'm, I don't dive into the Halloween stuff like that. Latter end of things, you know. Yeah, I mean he's fantastic in this. He's a great. Oh, he's in fucking this, awesome. He's been in a bunch of things. Um, our boy Tommy A. Tommy Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> who has probably one of the funniest deaths I've ever seen on screen in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he plays Michael Huntsacker. <laughs> yeah. We, we loved him in Halloween three. I, I think his performance in this movie is kind of all over the place. I think sometimes he does a great job, especially in his, in more of the first scene where, where they meet up in the, his office area. But then, yeah, that even as a kid, when he gets shot, and I'm, we'll bring it up again later, it's the weirdest reaction I've ever seen, and I've never, ever loved it. Yeah, it's now, I've actually, I'm just about to change um, 
Corey's little profile photo on my phone that to that picture. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Because it's so great. You found it and you screen grabbed it and it's right yeah, at the it's perfect like time. You're spilling the nog. <laughs> spilling the nog. When you spill the nog, you better look like Tommy A. You better. Uh, we, know, we don't need to talk about Tom Atkins. Go to our Patreon where uh, we've actually brought up Tom Atkins quite a few times uh, with our with our Carpenter Factor, which is our Patreon exclusive series, mm-hmm. and we talked about the fog, which Tom Atkins is in, and we off- we obviously talked about Tom Atkins in Halloween Three, which Corey masterfully broke down uh, in October. Yep, yep. So Darlene Love and Trish and uh, Tracy Wolf play Trish Murtaugh and Rianne Murtaugh. Um, I mean, they were in every movie, so. Uh, you know, they were in all the Lethal Weapon movies, so there you go. I mean, like, th- that's basically where you probably have seen them. And, you know, that's cool. That I love that Richard Donner has, like, well, whoever's responsible for keeping everybody together, whether that be Richard Donner or a producer or whatever, he was able to do that with the whole cast. And that's that was one of my notes is I do, again, like I said, I love this franchise as a whole, even if I don't love each individual movies. I do love the fact that everybody from the the captain, you know, to to Marianne Trainer's character is in it. Like they bring every single person back. I feel like they don't recast anybody, and that's I feel like that's something truly special about this series. The, yeah, I agree. Um, the, there are other actors in this movie that I'll bring up as we go along. I, good. Yeah, I was um, gonna say I've got some too, but we can just call them out when we actually get to them. Yeah, because they have small roles, but my God. Uh, I actually, I really, really quickly will bring up the psychologist, Mary Ellen Trainer, who's yeah. in every Lethal Weapon movie. She was married to Robert Zemeckis. She actually, and she was the mom in Monster in Squad. In Monster Squad, yeah. And she's in my favorite Tales from the Crypt episode, uh, All Through the House. Um, she passed away in 2015 at the age of 62, unfortunately. Yeah. Very young. So, uh, but, but she's great. Oh, she was in Romancing the Stone. She was... Uh, John Wilder's sister. Yeah. So Z John Wilder. I, I just showed that to, to Myra like six or seven months ago, and uh, we it holds up well. She fucking loved it the first time. You know, it's the first time she'd seen it. I watched that was another one. Uh, Romancing the Stone was very heavy in my rotation as a kid, and then I hadn't seen it for 25, 30 years. You know. That movie, that that theme song is actually on my phone. So when I take Bodie to school in the morning, that's one of the songs that we play. That's awesome. And in in the car, in the bike ride, he'll be like, he loves it. Anyways, if you want a song to get you grooving in the morning, that's the song to put on. Um, but well, yeah, we'll get to the rest of the people because they are definitely worth mentioning, and it may like segue a little bit from our discussion of the movie because we'll probably talk about their careers. Uh, but let's get lethal. You want to get lethal with me? David Riggs, get too old for this shit. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm going to go get something to eat. <laughs> He's a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jiu-jitsu, just bring him down. Do you really want to jump? Well, then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you mean? Wait a minute. What the he was ready to retire. Now, he's gonna wish he had. Gun! Oh! 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 Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? Too old for this. If these guys can just stand each other... What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old-timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't 
opens with the classic tune Jingle Bell Rock that I sang I butchered in the beginning of this episode <laughs> uh, with the awesome rad title font of the Lethal Weapon logo uh, just actually the whole credits have that same logo love like, it. who's got that font I want that font it's it's a little <laughs> bit of Superman but but not at the same time you know it's yeah it's like it's like cold silver yeah it's but it's strong dude it's fucking what a strong like like it sets the bar that it tells me that this movie is going to be quality like there's there's effort put into this film and so this is interesting because this movie opens and i remember as a kid watching it going man i love this movie the beginning of this movie what is this because the camera pans throughout los angeles and centers in on this hotel uh apartment building and a beautiful naked woman laying on a couch. And I'm like, as a kid, 11 years old, going, "Eh, this is making me feel weird. Um, But, you know, it's a great way to open the movie because you're like, oh, this is definitely an R-rated action movie. Absolutely. We're getting into it. Yeah, and and the... The helicopter work, the camera work is great because it. I isn't that the Capitol Records building? To be honest with you, like, yeah, I, I don't know for sure. Are, but it I could be. How many circular buildings look like that in L.A.? Um, well, there was a Holiday Inn on on off the four hundred five near Sunset, um, and I I know which one you're talking about. That is kind of circular too. Um, yeah, maybe this was it. But regardless, it was a it's a good camera work because the helicopter kind of flies around it like almost twice and then it they really kind of stop and then sort of pan in on on the shot of her on the you know naked on the the couch or whatever um nudity aside of course i loved it but like i was like you know watching it now i'm like that's a really technically advanced shot that they're doing oh yeah totally it absolutely is yeah so she kind of hovers over some drugs some pills uh and looks super high blazed out of her mind she walks over to the balcony she's looking over the balcony she's kind of wearing like a negligee but it's open and then next thing you know she drops off the side of the building and into a car and dies i love how the music kind of slowly dies down as she's falling to where it becomes almost nothing there um and it's a great shot of her going straight down because they painted um, a giant tarp, you know, the the padding to look like the top of the car, to look like everything there. So everything in frame when she lands is technically um, pa- the padding, the the giant pad. But then they could composite and take it out and stuff like that. So to till this day, to this day. It's one of the best stunts I've ever seen is for a person falling to their death. And that's actually the actress who did that. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, I believe, by the way, I think that is the um, International Tower 
Okay. It's in Long Beach. Oh, okay. So it's not the Capitol Records building. My whole entire life, I, I thought it was. Um, okay, cool. I'm, I'm glad no. you mentioned that. And, you know, I kind of called it out. Remember in the Burbs episode where where Bruce Dern walks out and that's where the director, where, you know, Joe Dante put his name there. And I was like, you know, is that on purpose? And then here, directed by Richard Donner, right over her dead body. And I'm like, that's on purpose. That's 100% on purpose because it's like it's like a punctuation point. It's like, boom, she lands and then directed by Richard Donner. And I'm like, what an amazing fucking like two minute opening right here. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's a slow pace but it builds attention super fast. Cut to the next day or that same day in the morning, uh, suburb milk truck drives down the road and parks at a parks in front of a house, which is actually Murtaugh's house. And cl- so clearly, so clearly universal backlot, this whole thing right here. I, <laughs> totally. I, I don't know for a fact, but I think it might be the, the, the Burb Street, which is, you know, of course, right around the corner from, you know, downtown and, you know, Monster Squad. It's it's all that area. It's used a couple times and it's used uh, effectively. And finally, they trash it at the end. So that makes sense yeah. that they would need a backlot. Yeah. This scene always made me uncomfortable. Yes. Murtaugh lying in the bathtub, taking the bath with his big old beard, and uh, he gets surprised by his family. Surprise! Happy birthday to you. Clap, clap. Happy birthday to you. Clap, clap. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Clap, clap. 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 And because I believe they can't sing the original, the like traditional happy birthday song because someone owns the rights to that. Fun fact. Oh, oh, okay, okay. That's why you don't hear it sang the like officially. Gotcha. But he's greeted by his family in his nakedness in the bathtub. There's no bubbles, nothing. Whatever. Nowadays, I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. But back then, it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. I I thought this was a little weird. And even now, I'm like, and his daughter kind of hangs out way too long. Like, I don't yeah, know. I just put way my too long. I just put myself <laughs> in that position, and I'm, I'd be like, get the fuck out, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So, so Murtaugh's got three kids, got a uh, boy and two girls, and his oldest uh, daughter, Rianne, she's like the teenager. I'm going to guess that she's maybe 17, 18 years old. It's supposed to be, but she's like 27 in real life at this time because like, like uh, Danny Glover's only like 12 years older than her or something. Yeah, that makes sense. So he's got his beard. Uh, everybody's uh, saying, make a wish, Daddy, make a wish. And he goes, I wish. I'm not going to tell you. Ha <laughs> ha. And uh, everyone leaves like Corey said, except his daughter. And she's like looking at his beard and she's, she says, yeah, your beard's getting gray. And she goes, it makes you look old, but I still love you. (laughs) Cue the sax music. (laughs) Oh dude, I got it. I got to tell everybody this. Uh, I watched this with uh, my wife, Myra. um, And she, she grew up loving this movie too. I, I think she watched probably part two a bit more, but it was on TV high in rotation. She also grew up in Hollywood. So later on, when uh, when they're in downtown Hollywood uh, and the shootout and whatnot, she totally became uh, the meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and was was pointing at the screen being like, I, I live right down there, right down that street right there. So she she watched all of this with me. She, she loved it. She loved the saxophone. And she knows I love saxophone. And yeah, saxophone is life. And I, cue the I fucking been- saxophone, my man. <laughs> so much I and you know I love the sax too. It's just been cliched. This movie I think was the reason why yeah. saxophone was cliched in movies like Loaded Weapon and uh but but it, this is the first, this, yeah. you know? This is where yes, yeah, where it's it the starts. Benchmark. Cut to the beach uh trailer park where Riggs lives, Martin Riggs. 
he's watching, he's got the family feud on smoking in bed, listening to family feud. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's kind of grit gets out of bed is you, you get a great butt shot of Mel Gibson. Yeah. My, Myra said, Hey, he's got a hairy butt, but it's very tight. I was like, okay, thanks. Thanks, babe. <laughs> That's what my wife says about me. Nice. So you have a hairy butt like, uh, like he does too, huh? And it's fit. I think, <laughs> I, like, I think, I hope <laughs> I haven't looked at it in a while, but <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> He's and he's got a dog, and that's important because you see the dog at the very end of the movie. Yeah. This is the only time you see the dog, and then at the end, very end of the movie. That's the only reason why I'm mentioning the dog. I remember the dog. I think is a bit more of a of a character in number two moving forward. I, I, I think so. Yeah, and my my get I, my sense is that he was probably a bigger character in the original script, right? But what's funny is. Yeah, I mean, Riggs looks like shit, and he's drinking a beer first thing in the morning and smoking a cigarette. And it's obviously, it's cool because it's the juxtaposition between Murtaugh's, you know, he's a family man and everything, and Riggs, you know, you'll find out in a little bit that he's he's recently widowed, so uh, uh, he's a widower, I guess. Um, So, yeah, he's, he's in a rough spot, and older me now, I can appreciate... The headspace Riggs is in in this movie, and I think that Mel Gibson just does an amazing job with it. Well, I also think there's a little truth to the fiction in in Mel Gibson just being a little off kilter. Yeah, yeah, I that that I have no doubt. But He's so easily it cre- snaps. It creates it creates a, a a great character though in Martin Riggs. Hey, as an artist, very talented. Um. From, and, and I think this movie does a really good job, too, by the way, of, of balancing the two leads in making them equally leads. Yeah. It's not one or the other, where they give them equal time to get to know them because we cut right back to Murtaugh at his house. Uh, he's coming into the kitchen. There's kids everywhere. Friends are coming in the house, going upstairs. Uh, Murtaugh, he's got a two-level house. He's coming down the stairs, asking his wife to check his tie. <laughs> Asking about a spot on his tie. <laughs> Stepping in eggs. You know, his, his wife's getting the breakfast ready in the morning. Uh, and then she kind of briefly mentions that Michael Hunsacker called. Murtaugh goes, Hunsacker? What? Like, he hasn't heard that name in a while. He's like, what's he want? And she goes, well, the office called. He's been trying to reach you for three days. And that's when Murtaugh says, well, I haven't talked to him in 12 years. That would make me... That would make me 50 years old. That can't be right. I love that. That was cool. <laughs> oh, man. And then his wife is like, how come I never heard of Huntsacker? And he's like, what? I never talked about him. And she goes, oh, is a Vietnam buddy? He goes, yeah, Vietnam buddy. That's one thing that I love about this. And I, I know we've talked about it multiple times. Anytime we cover something in the 80s. But I think this really pushes that home that, dude, there's like a whole generation of guys that were at this age, you know, 40 to 50, that all had this same shared experience of Vietnam. And it's just I, I find this to be fascinating um i also you know have talked about it before how you know you and i grew up watching and loving gi joe and how like there was such a connection to vietnam there uh for me like with the punisher like to me frank castle is always you know was in vietnam and obviously you have to kind of reinvent the character because they can't have been in vietnam if it's now 2022 you know what i mean like i get it but for some reason man there's just nothing 
quite like this era and and just the whole post-Vietnam thing. I just personally find it just to be super fascinating. Like all these cops were probably military trained. Even some of the B cops were just military trained kids that went to Vietnam, you know? Well, you look now at the people who come who were in the military coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq and, you know, they're getting into law enforcement or they're doing security and, and, uh, cause that's all they know, you know, or that's all they like want to do. And on and the PTSD that came out of that. Yeah. So you think about the guys from Vietnam who had PTSD. Oh man, it's brutal. It's brutal. And I think this movie kind of does a good job of like acknowledging that at least with, uh, Riggs, yeah. you know, he's got, he's got his demons and it's not just the fact that his wife had died. I think it's more than that. Agreed. hundred percent agreed. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of inappropriate demons, uh, Rianne walks downstairs in her New Year's Eve dress and Murtog looks like he's popping chub. And I'm just like, dude, that's your daughter, man. And the saxophone goes to that. Like, you know, uh, I can't believe that's my daughter. Like, oh, <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable. Again, another uncomfortable scene. Yeah, she's his daughter's beautiful, but she's still his daughter, dude. I know. And, and I mean, you know, it's it's supposed to be taken like like he's sort of like almost shocked that she's going to go out like that. But, you know, I mean, I think he's just a normal human guy and that's not his true blood relation uh, in real <laughs> life. And I think that that sort of squeaks by in his acting performance because I, too, find it to be a little bit odd and uncomfortable. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Cut to the exterior of the hotel where Amanda Hunsaker jumped off, and there's a uh, I, I I was like she's drunk, right? So this this kind of drunk hooker talking to a cop. She's not a hooker. Her name is Dixie. <laughs> Her name is Dixie, and that's important because she's gonna come up again as Murtaugh it pulls into the crime scene. You hear her kind of. Uh, complaining to the cop that she wants to go. She's got to go. She doesn't want to be there. You know, cut me a break. Murtaugh asks, you know, what do we got here? And yeah, that's when the the detective says, we got a hooker. And she's like, it's Dixie, right? They let her go, but she's going to come back in another way. But she's going to come back in an explosive way. (laughs) Yes. Dixie's like, will you tell these bozos to lay off? And Murtaugh says, hey, you bozos, lay off. (laughs) They let her go. Uh, one cop says we had a jumper last night. Dixie was walking by, said she saw the whole thing. Murtog says, well, if you got a statement, you'd let her go home. Dixie, who apparently knows Raj, uh, Murtog, she goes, thanks, Raj. I'll, I'm beat. You know how it is. He goes, sure. All dressed up and no one to blow. <laughs> she gets real pissed and at that, though. She's like, you're hilarious. Mm. Some great lines in this, by the way. And I wrote them all down for you guys. Uh, the cop goes on to say that the jumper's name is Amanda Huntsacker. And then Murtaugh says, what was that name? And she, and the cop says, Huntsacker, you know her? And he goes, I know her dad. The cop says, well, the vehicle's registered to her. She landed right on top of her own car. <laughs> and then Murtaugh says, well, who's paying, find out who's paying the bills. And the cop's like, well, that'll take some looking into. And he gets really serious and he goes, so look, cue the saxophone. <laughs> and you mentioned it earlier, how... When you were a kid, you, you kind of missed some of this stuff. Me too, dude. This viewing here is probably one of the first viewings where I sort of 
totally understood what was happening. I was like, oh, me too. I get it. Oh, okay. I, guess. I had no idea before. I, yeah, me neither. I had no idea how they got to the Beverly Hills house. I had no idea who that guy was. Like, seriously, as a kid, you just, you don't pick up on these things. But I'm watching it now and I'm like, oh, okay. All right. And, you know, they talk about some things are thin later. Like the, the connections are thin. I'm like, I get it. Oh, this is cool. So this viewing was almost... Almost like a new viewing for me because I was able to actually follow the plot because I wasn't a me dumb too. kid. Me too. I actually, <laughs> I actually enjoyed it more because of that. Yeah, because I understood what was happening. Yeah, I didn't feel like out of place. From there, we cut to Murtaugh in uh, Amanda Hunsaker's apartment looking at a picture of Tom Atkins and his daughter. Murtaugh picks up the phone. He's, he's talking to his wife, and he's like, yeah, give me the number for Michael Hunsaker. And you can kind of hear her talking on the other side. And he goes, what? Yeah, no, the man who called me this morning. Yeah, his uh, his daughter just dove out the window. I'm like, oh, you should tell your wife everything? Sure. <laughs> cool. From there, we cut to one of the most infamous scenes of this movie. Yes. A Christmas tree lot. Yes. And are we going to talk about some of the uh, the goons who we see in, in this? We are. So really quickly, Riggs is uh, with three goons and uh, a drug deal is commencing where they're trying. Uh, he's trying out some coke, puts it in his mouth and licking his lips. That cliche, that classic thing that cops do. And because, you know, if he wasn't a cop, he'd be snorting it up. Of course. And uh, and one. And so I'm going to call out two of the guys. I don't know if you want to talk about all three, but at least I'm going to talk about two of them. Well, I'm going to talk. Main... I, w- I want to talk about one of them. Damn it. <laughs> I know you do want to talk about him. Uh, but the main guy that Riggs is talking to is played by uh, Jimmy Skaggs and Jimmy Skaggs. Like he's got a memorable face. You've just you like if you see his face, you're like, oh, I know that dude. And the first thing you think of is a lethal weapon. Yeah. But he's actually been in a bunch of other movies uh, and TV series. Like he's it's just actually his resume is pretty stacked. He was on Werewolf. He was on Miami Vice. He was in Dragnet, uh, A Team, Hill Street Blues, Hardcastle and McCormick. Hunter, like this guy who was everywhere in the 80s, but that's Jimmy F. Skaggs. That's the one, the main guy that, well, he's going to get blasted in the chest with in a minute, his, but, um, shotgun. but there's, but with a shotgun, but there's one other guy that should be mentioned. Uh, why don't you tell everybody who that is? He's got a great mullet kind of, uh, Long, long hair mullet thing going on. Yeah, the the guy with the red and black flannel who is going to kind of uh, uh, hold Riggs hostage for a second in a, in a little bit. That's he's played by Blackie Dammit, uh, who we saw in L.A. Bounty, who is also Anthony Kiedis's father from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes, and I if go back to that L.A. Bounty uh, re- breakdown because I I think I read his uh, bio, his IMDb bio, which is very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. He died in 2021. Yeah, but at the age of 81, though, so he did have a pretty good run. Yeah, I feel like he died either right before we recorded that episode or right after. It was timely. I know that. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't mention him ahead of time. Because uh, co-host of Two Dollar Late Fee, Dustin thinks that every time I mention an older someone who's older, they end up dying. They're still alive. <laughs> du- older actor. You know what? Dustin is not wrong. No, I don't think he is. But you know, I didn't call out all the people that died this week, unfortunately. <laughs> or fortunately, I'm glad I didn't call them out because I would have been held responsible. Anyways, back to the action. Um, so, so that the drug dealers are, you know, Riggs is like, okay, I'll take everything. How much? And uh, and the one guy, 
the one drug dealer's like, you want it all? He goes, yeah. And maybe a nice six-footer to put in there. And the drug dealer's like, I tell you what, you can have the tree for nothing, but the shit's going to run you 100. And Riggs is like, oh, okay, th- that much, huh? Okay, well, let's see what I got. And he opens up his wallet and he starts pulling money out. <laughs> like fives and twenties like... and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then and the guy's like, hey, man, hey, man, what are you doing? He's like, stop stop talking to me. I'm, I'm losing count. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, he goes, 100,000, you stupid fuck. 100,000. And Riggs is like, ah, oh, I can't afford that. Not on my salary. Well, look, I tell you what. I'll take your stash. I'll take it all for free. How about that? And you assholes will all go to jail. And then, uh, and then they, all three of the guys are looking at him like, what? Are you crazy? What's going on? And Riggs says, I can read you your rights, but, you know, you, you guys know what your rights are. And the drug dealer's like, fuck you, man. Like, Riggs at this point has shown his badge to him. He's like, that badge ain't real, and you ain't real. But he says, but you are sure as hell crazy. And then Riggs says, you call me crazy? You want to see crazy? And he does his whole bit, the whole Three Stooges bit. He does a Three Stooges thing because, of course, he loves Three Stooges. Man, so many people back in the 80s were so in love with the Three Stooges. I was never the biggest fan. It was a little bit before my time. But, you know, I mean, it's it pops up everywhere. Fucking, fucking choppy mall. I think they refer to them, the robots as three stooges at the beginning, you know, and, and, you know, Jerry's Jerry Seinfeld loves the three stooges. Like everyone fucking loves the three stooges back then. I think it's like an older dudes thing. Yeah. And I don't know any women that are into the three stooges, no. but if you are, let us know because, well, actually don't let, I really don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, didn't they make a bad movie about the three stooges? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, he might've even produced it to be honest with you. Um, but I do like this. No Gibson. I, I, th- I think he might've. Yeah. Um, wow. I do like how he kind of like, you know, smacks them all across the face and does that. And then, you know, while they're sort of like, you know, flustered, he pulls, pulls the gun on them. And I was like, yeah, that, and I like how that kind of, you know, the, the goofiness is an act and I like that. Do you know what I mean? It's so great. It's so, yeah, it's all an act. It's all to kind of get under their skin. And then suddenly he's like dead bang serious Mm -hmm. with them, which is so badass. That's because he's like, you know, this is a real badge. I'm a real cop. And this is a real fucking gun. Like, you know, face down on the ground, arms, like the whole routine. Yeah. And then, and then dumbass Jimmy Skaggs has to look up like an idiot. (laughs) He he looks up with almost like he's going to get cross-eyed. And Riggs realizes that there's a dude behind him. Uh, There's a truck right behind Riggs full of trees. There's a dude behind the trees with a shotgun. Riggs gets out of the way. The guy with the shotgun plugs scattered shot into Skaggs' chest, knocking him dead to the ground. And I like that it's it's it was a shotgun squib, meaning that like there's a bunch of squibs on his chest instead of like just one because it's a fucking shotgun. I like that. And I also like it when people get killed like goons get killed by their own guy, like friendly fire. I think that's fun. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh another random goon gets shot in the leg. Uh well so Riggs takes out the guy in the in the tree, behind the trees uh, he he gets one of the other goons in the leg. The only one left is Blackie Dammit, who's kind of missing. Other cops show up. Riggs says there's three down, one on the loose. The one on the loose ends up finding Riggs, comes up from behind him and grabs him, puts a gun to his head. And Riggs is yelling to the cops to shoot him. And the drug dealer's like telling him to shut up. 
Riggs is like, just shoot him, shoot, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, fucking shoot him, fucking shoot him. You know, and I, I love this scene, by the way. Dude, it's so great. Yeah, he, he like gets so intense. He's like, do it, asshole, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, come on. And the guy's like, shut the fuck up. You know, officers are yelling, get down, get down. There's all this yelling back and forth. And Riggs is like, come on, man. Like, don't like test me. Just do yeah. it. Just do it. Right. And he's mumbling things like you think you know some And the guy eventually gives up. The dealer is so freaked out that Riggs sees his opening and, you know, basically net hits the guy and takes the gun out of his hand and disarms him. The cops grab the guy to arrest him. Riggs is looking like totally blazed out of his mind, like he's on cocaine. Yeah. But he's super intense. Like, well, he almost had his brains blown out. Does he have a death wish? I don't know. Like the psychologist thinks he does. We'll find out. Technically, he does also have some cocaine flowing through him because he did the little test, right? He, t- you know, he tasted it. So maybe that maybe that bit. tracks, you know, that that's why yeah. he's, he's a bit more aggressive here. From there, we cut to Riggs in his trailer watching Three Stooges. This is in the nighttime. This is the darkest scene in the whole movie. This is this is a super dark scene, and it's even, I think, darker now. I don't think I've ever seen a scene this dark since. Agreed. Especially in a movie that that's like this like like supposed to be like a buddy cop action movie this is this is super dark and it sets the tone for this movie being not it's it's a lot of people go back and like oh lethal weapon one you know you think it's all fun in games like lethal weapon two and three and four it's not this one is hella dark it is it is so he's drinking and he's looking at a picture of him and his wife uh he pulls his gun out takes one bullet loads the bullet into the gun you see a close-up of the bullet then he puts the bullet in the gun cocks it then he puts the gun to his head then you see a close-up of the gun's barrel then he puts the gun in his mouth and he's wincing like he's gonna pull the trigger and he's he's got tears in his eyes suddenly from three stooges we've got bugs bunny a christmas bugs bunny cartoon on and kind of breaks the breaks the, the uh the the tension in the room yeah pulls the gun out of his mouth and he's crying just profusely looks at the picture of him and his wife he kisses it and he says i miss you victoria lynn he's crying and he says i'll see you much later and it fades to the next scene dude i mean he is mel gibson is a tour de force in this movie and in this scene right here, I mean, to the point where I mean, he's crying, he's fucking hitting himself in the head with the fucking gun. Like, you can tell that that has to actually hurt, but he doesn't give a shit because he's full on rigs at this moment, Mel Gibson is. And, you know, like, added with the fact that, you know, when we're kids and we're watching this, I never had met the love of my life and stuff like that. So there was a whole missing emotional element to this movie that I just didn't really cue in on. Now I'm like, fuck, man. And honestly, like even to the point where Myra and I watched this and she was like, look, she looked at me. She's like, if I go first, you can't do this. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, you, you go first. And I'm I've already done it then. Like, you know what Jesus, I mean? Like, Myra. I'm not going to I'm not going to survive long without you. But like that's dark days. <laughs> but, <with Myra. laughs> but but like that's the, the point I'm making is like this like the this emotional element was not like for me wasn't there when I was a kid because I didn't understand it. Watching it now, it just adds this other powerful layer to his character and to the movie itself. As a kid, I wanted to fast forward through the scene. Right. I didn't like the scene. And I wanted to like 
as a kid, I didn't like the the beginning scene. I didn't like this scene. I didn't like, I wanted to just cut straight to the action as a kid. As an adult, I appreciate it so much more. And as an adult in 2022, even, I don't think I would have appreciated it back then as much. Like just knowing the, I think because we're now at a stage to comfortably talk about um, needing mental support, you know, in this country and people who need, you know, uh, you know, when, when someone is, is sad or feeling down, you want to reach out to them and help them versus back in the day of being like, Oh, you're fine. Go play a sport, go join the military. You'll be okay. Yeah. You know, that kind of bullshit, that manly stuff, man up. Yeah. But now, but now we're so fully aware, not full, not fully, but we're more aware of wanting to see if we see signs that someone's hurting, we want to help them versus like, you know, just brushing it under the table. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's the scene is much more intense nowadays. Yeah. Same. And also knew finally knew that his wife's name is Victoria Lynn because I just didn't pay attention to that <laughs> or the ending scene of the movie when the camera holds on the cemetery gravestone for like, you know, 10 seconds or whatever. I think, I think As a you, kid, I didn't give a fuck. I think you and I had the exact same experience with this movie. Like we paid attention to the same things and we kind of zoned out through the other stuff The like the same things, you know, uh, together. Yes. But I, this upcoming scene, I did not zone out. And in. in fact, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, <laughs> for, which is odd. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Cut to the police station, where a bunch of uh, police officers are trying to sing Christmas carols, which is front, which is funny because a guy starts it and then uh, the woman like leading the, the, the caroling gets pissed off at him because he comes in too fast. We're now introduced to the psychologist and uh, Murphy, who's like the, the police captain, right? Captain Murphy, who, uh, which by the way, is that, that's a, I know that guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We can pull him up while you're doing that. I'll just say that I, you always, I always think he's in this one more. Um, he's played by Steve uh, Kahan. Um, I always think that he's in this one more, but he's he's in the other ones uh, much more. Uh, you probably know him from Demolition Man as well. Um, he was in that, but uh, he's not in this one at all. Like he's in it only for this this small little portion right here. Yeah, and it's funny. I always used to think that was Richard Donner. <laughs> yeah, right. He does because he's such a like a nondescript dude. And I'm like, why do I even care about this guy? You know, 
but you care about him enough because he he well he gives insight into how the cops view Riggs because the psychologist uh, is basically saying, you know, look, I think Riggs is suicidal. He's on the edge. He's psychotic, and and the captain is like, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, it could be a bunch of bullshit. It could be he could be suicidal. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, kids. The captain's like, look, I know him. He's you know he's fine. He's like, it's basically it's it's just let let him be a man. Men have to yeah. deal with their emotions the way they got to deal with them, and we don't us men don't like worry about other men, you know. And he said he even says he's like, well, if he offs himself, well then we'll know I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is really fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, turns out he's not wrong, fortunately. And but he's walking into a men's bathroom, which is really funny because he's like, excuse me, to the female psychologist. He's like, can I? Can I go now? Uh, and and the men's bathroom not only says men's, but it also has a men's like symbol, symbol on, on it, it, which yeah. was obviously tagged on. Yeah, yeah, obviously not a part of it, but yeah, added on. I, I don't know why at all they needed that. I don't know why either, but I think it's kind of funny. From there, you cut to, I think, same, t- same day. We're now in Murtaugh's office with, uh, it's Murtaugh and Detective McCaskey played by Jack Tabot. Yeah, Jack Tabot. He's in this for, for a few seconds. Um, I I think he's great. I love this little piece of dialogue right here that he delivers. I think he's fantastic. Yep. And then later, I like that he's not a bumbling cop. I like he does, you know, he basically tells Mr. Joshua that, that you know, Riggs died in that shootout thing. I like that. I like that he does his job effectively. Yeah, if you've never seen this actor before, uh, I'll, I'll just shout out one movie that you should see him in. It's Escape from Alcatraz, yeah. 1979, yeah. with Clint Eastwood. Uh, he's like buddies with Fred Ward in that. He's one of the one of the inmates, and he's so good in that movie. And he's so good in this scene yeah. because he says to Murtaugh, it's so funny. He's like, he's talking to Murtaugh, and he goes, yeah, you're behind the times, Guys in the 80s aren't tough. They're sensitive. They show their emotions around women, shit like that. <laughs> and then he holds for a second. He goes, I think I'm an 80s man. <laughs> Murtaugh's like, yeah, how you figure? And he goes, well, last night I cried in bed. So how's that? And Murtaugh says, were you with a woman? And McCaskey goes, no, I was alone. Why the fuck you think I was crying? <laughs> and then Murtaugh says, sounds like an 80s man to me. <laughs> Dude, I I love that. And honestly, if you didn't call out that whole dialogue, I would have, except for the fact that on the Blu-ray that you sent me, the the subtitles won't I can't select them. Like I can bring up the menu. Oh, no. I can bring up the menu, but on the PlayStation this is the first Blu-ray I've ever had this problem with. It wouldn't let me navigate through the audio settings. Um so I was like, okay, I guess it has subtitles, but I guess I'm not watching them. Oh no. Well, well good good thing I bought the uh, iTunes digital version years ago as well. So that had like pristine subtitles, so nice. Nice. Yeah, that because otherwise I would have been screwed with this movie. Can can, um, can I call out the next uh, the next guy that comes in? Please do, because I have a funny story about this guy. Oh man, it's Grand L. Bush, who fucking I know from Die Hard as Little Johnson. I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> Grand L. Bush has been in everything, by the way, TV and movies. He was also a, a Balrog in the Street Fighter movie, unfortunately. But uh, I I think 
again, just like with Jack uh, Thibault um, as McCaskey, um, I thought this one little 30-second, 45-second exchange dialogue between Murtaugh that you, you know, you'll go into and, and Grandel Bush, I think he's great. I think he's fucking awesome, and I wish he was in this movie more. Yeah, Grandel Bush, uh, by the way, he's one of the Sorrells in Streets of Fire, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yep. And and Grandel Bush swims at the local swim center that I take my son to for swim lessons. So there was one day. When are we interviewing him? <laughs> I worked. I'm trying. I'm trying. We uh, There was one day that um, he was in the locker room getting changed. And when I was helping Bodie get changed for swim class and we kind of locked eyes for a second and uh, and and said hi to him. And then as he was walking out, Bodie and I were walking out and I mentioned to him that I was a big fan of his and he appreciated that and uh, and said, hey, you know, I'd love to interview you someday for a podcast that I run. He goes, well, I'm actually working with Quentin Tarantino right now on a new movie and I'm under contract. I can't talk to anybody about it. I I don't know if he's blowing smoke up my ass or not. But um, anyways, the roundabout way he's got mutual. We have mutual friends in common. So one of these days he's going to show up somewhere in our in our podcasting universe. Oh, I hope Grand so, man. Bush. Fucking, I, I hope mean, so. Dude, I, I, I die hard, man. Woo! Just like fucking Saigon, eh, Slick? I was in junior high, dickhead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he does not sound like that in real life. His voice is much higher pitched. It's yeah, interesting. Because he, yeah, he doesn't really sound like that in, in this either, you know? He kind of no. sounded more, I don't know, quote-unquote normal. Like his pitch was a bit more uh, level in this. Yeah, and he plays Boyette, Detective Boyette. Yeah. And so Boyette comes in, starts talking to Murtaugh, says he's got an autopsy report on Amanda. And he goes, you ready for this? They're not calling it a suicide. And Murtaugh goes, what? He goes, first off, the coroner found evidence she took barbiturates. Uh, Boyette says, that's not the surprise. The surprise is someone doctored her pills. Every capsule was loaded with drain cleaner. If she hadn't jumped, she would have been dead within 15 minutes. Jesus. Yeah. So, and as a kid, uh, I, I did pick up on this as a kid, but I kind of didn't like understand what it sort of meant. But I understood that 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 somebody had played foul, like something had gone afoul, essentially. Exactly. At this moment, uh, Riggs has entered the station, uh, the detectives area, and he's kind of leaning over at a table, looking looking like disheveled. He's got a baseball cap on, kind of. Just looking rough, looking undercover, I think. Yeah. And, but but Murtaugh, Murtaugh spots him and looks very nervous about the way he looks. Um, he gets, Murtaugh stands up from his desk and starts walking over to the entrance of his office to look, get a closer look at Riggs. And that's when Murphy shows up, uh, the captain, and note, and says hi to Murtaugh and says, oh, you shaved the beard. You look younger with the beard. <laughs> He's like, and that's what, <laughs> I love how Murtaugh's like, some detective you are. <laughs> yeah, because Boyette goes, oh, you did shave the beard. And oh, that's when he says, yeah, yeah. some detective you are. <laughs> Boyette continues and says, the condition of the sheets in and the mattress at Amanda's place indicate that someone was in bed with Amanda just before she died. Who was that? We don't know yet. Mm. Oh, he, He's got two things he had to tell him. That and Murtaugh goes, well, what's the other thing? And he goes, well, I'm supposed to tell you you're breaking in a new partner. And Murtaugh goes, I don't want a new partner. Boyette continues and says he's a some guy who's on loan from dope. He's a burnout. 
and that you want to keep a leash on. So and meaning goes, he's on on uh, a loan out from Dope. So I'm guessing what Vice, right? Because Murtaugh's homicide and and uh, Riggs was Vice. So Dope is Vice, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds like it. And at that moment, uh, Riggs pulls his gun out of his holster and Murtaugh yells gun and rushes Riggs. Riggs looks around. Everyone's out. Everyone's freaking out. Riggs looking like, well, who's got the gun? Yeah. Who's got the gun? Yeah. I, lo- I love that. That's a, such a great little subtle moment that lasts all of like five seconds. And if you if you miss it, you miss it because, you know, he's going to get tackled in two seconds. But I like that Riggs is looking around. He's like, where? Where's the guy? You know? Yeah. Who? One where? And he rushes Riggs. Riggs basically flips him over onto his back and Murtaugh lands on the ground. And that's when Boyette comes over and goes, meet your new partner. And Riggs looks at him with a smile on his face. And this is when Murtaugh utters the line that he's most famous for. Corey? I'm getting too old for this shit. (laughs) Yes. From there, he cut to the parking garage with Murtaugh and Riggs. The most smoked out parking garage I've ever seen. Like, it's, it's a precursor to, you know, Tony Scott movies that are going to come later where everything is smoked out, which, you know, I fucking love because it just looks amazing. Um, you know, a few things in movies, guys and gals, you'll never unsee it. Um, streets always get watered down because they look better. They they reflect the lights better. So go watch any movie. You'll start noticing the streets are wet, even though there's no rain clouds or nothing, because it always just looks more interesting. And then fucking in L.A., in my opinion, in L.A., everything should be fucking smoked out because apartments and everything looks fucking fantastic. Totally agree. So Murtaugh and Riggs are now getting to know each other. I also want to point out this is the first time I noticed that Mel Gibson actually looks considerably shorter than uh, Murtaugh. And it's authentic. Like it's for the first time I saw Mel Gibson basically looking his normal height, which is like five seven, five eight, maybe. Yeah, and Danny Glover's a pretty tall dude, you know, as well. So yeah, yeah, it's it's great seeing them like this, and they, it's great them not hiding the the size difference, you know. Because yeah, because there was many times that they would do that in Mel Gibson movies to make him look taller than everybody else. Or Tom Cruise. I mean, they still do that, you know, with Tom Cruise and everything. But uh, yeah, because he's a little guy. But man, this whole scene is exposition the scene, you know, like they literally crammed in so much exposition into this one scene. So Murtaugh says, file says you worked for the Phoenix project in Vietnam. That right. And Riggs goes, yeah. Murtaugh goes assassin stuff. Riggs doesn't really respond. And Murtaugh goes, it's over, you know. And Riggs goes, what is the war? And Riggs goes, "Uh, yeah, I know. (laughs) Murtaugh says, yeah, I just thought I remind you. And then, he checks out Riggs' gun. Riggs pulls out his gun. And Murtaugh says, nine millimeter Beretta. That's some serious shit. Continuing, he goes, 15 in the mag, one up the pipe, wide ejection port, no feed jams. And then Riggs asks him what he's carrying. And he goes, a four inch Smith. And Riggs goes, yeah, a lot of old timers carry that. I love that, that they're comparing each other's guns. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a dick comparison thing. And, and, Pretty much. And, you know, as I said that this is all exposition, and it is, but it's also an example of how to do exposition properly. The, the great thing is they're getting to know each other the same way we are getting to know each other right here, or, you know, with them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
Murtaugh says, File also says you're heavy into martial arts, Tai Chi, and all that killer stuff. I'm like, Tai Chi, that's fucking to relax, but whatever. (laughs) Uh, And he goes, I suppose we have to register you as a lethal weapon. And that was so clearly 80 yard, like in in post production, you know what I mean? I think they use that in the trailer, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Riggs is like, look, files don't lie. We both know why I was transferred. Everyone thinks I'm suicidal, in which case I'm fucked and no one wants to work with me. Or they think I'm faking to draw a psycho pension, in which case I'm fucked and no one wants to work with me. Basically, I'm fucked. And Murtaugh says, guess what? Riggs goes, what? He goes, I don't want to work with you. And Riggs goes, hey, don't. And Murtaugh says, I ain't got no choice. We're both fucked. And Riggs goes, terrific. <laughs> and, I mean, honestly, like, like there's going to be a sort of a turning point where their relationship really changes. But they have great chemistry from the get-go. They do. And Murtaugh gets in the car and he goes, God hates me. That's what it is. <laughs> and Riggs goes, hate him back. Works for me. I love that. From there, we cut to what is like the warehouse. Um, I figured this out at the end of the movie. I'm like, oh, they're in Hollywood on the strip. It's a club. There's a big back room of like uh, storage areas and warehouse areas and, and pipes, rooms and, to torture people. Yeah, in. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. You you kind of have to to make that leap. But yeah, when I was a kid, it's fine. I didn't quite put together the the. The, the, the proximity of the locations, you know what I mean? And, yeah, again, that's another thing. Okay, I'm figuring out here. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. This is We're going to see this area later when when Endo is, you know, uh, torturing rigs and all that kind of stuff. But here we get fucking Mr. Joshua, J, uh, uh, Gary Busey, but we also get Edo Ross. Who, yes, uh, who plays Mendez. Who plays Mendez, uh, who we know from uh, The Hidden. Um, I just saw him on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that Adam and I are, are recording for uh, Cartwright uh, Patreon as we're recovering the Curb Your Enthusiasm. We saw, I saw him in season five, the Larry David Sandwich. He owns a restaurant that uh, Larry makes a sandwich for Larry David, names it after him. But as far as TV Obscura goes... We talked about him on the Men in Black cartoon. He played Agent K in the first season, um, but not after that. Like season two and on, he didn't he didn't play Agent K. But I think he did a spectacular job in the first season as as, as Agent K. Yeah, Edo Ross is a great great actor. He's been in he's a genre a character actor. He's been in a ton of things. I think Universal Soldier was one that a lot of people might recognize him from. But the one that I think most people were most people will recognize him from is Red Heat, where he's the main villain in Red Heat. Yes, you're right. I... Directed by Walter Hill, Jim Belushi, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah, dude. I haven't seen Red Heat in forever, but I, I like that movie too as, as a kid, man. And uh, another one, dude, Universal Soldier. That was a movie that I watched a shit ton as a kid but have not seen it in like 30 years was he like their commander or their colonel or something in that yeah i think he was like in charge of the yeah the, the, the program in, he, right yes i think so okay okay yeah i always it's it's his eyes it's those fucking blue eyes it's those blue eyes well mendez who's very jumpy uh gets brought into this kind of warehouse room uh, and there's a bunch of kind of mercenary. Well, we, we, we find out soon that they're all mercs, merc, former mercenaries, former, they're all former shadow company, right? Essentially. Yeah. Former shadow company. Mendez meets Joshua 
And Mendez goes, who the hell are you? And, uh, and he goes, that's hardly important, but if you'd like, you may call me Mr. Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> and they enter the club, and this is one of the funniest scenes to me in the movie. So Joshua brings him into the club to meet the general, uh, and you see a band rehearsing in the back while, while, <laughs> while they're going to have their meeting. And the club guy is yelling at this band like <laughs> the biggest dick on the planet he's like you know i can go down the street and replace you guys in a second with half the price or some shit like that it's so funny i always get this scene confused with ford fairlane because it reminds me of like you know like these bad hair bands from the 80s these club bands that just wanted to be the next big thing but they definitely were not what's this asshole smiling about (laughs) this is when we're introduced to the general and not tim thomerson no, not Tim Thomerson. And the general's very sweet. He's like introduces himself and uh, he says, Mr. Mendez, how are you? And Mendez goes regarding uh, Mr. Joshua. He goes, where'd you get him? Psychos are us. And, gener- and the general goes, I don't think you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> Mendez goes, I don't find any of this goddamn setup funny. You're using mercenaries for Christ's sake. Tell me I'm wrong. And the general goes, no, you're not wrong. And Mendez goes, I'm supposed to trust these bozos? My people are loyal, Mr. Mendez. They're loyal to me. Bullshit. And then General decides to give him an example of how loyal they are. I fucking he tells love Joshua this. to hold out his arm. <laughs> and he says, Do you smoke, Mr. Mendez? And he's and Mendez goes, I don't what the hell does that have to do with anything? And he yells at him, Do you smoke? Yeah, yeah. He goes, Give me your lighter. <laughs> he takes the lighter from Mendez. Mendez still has it in his hand, yeah. lights the lighter, kind of, uh, they get uh, Mendez kind of in a chokehold, and and, they let, and Joshua puts his arm over the lighter, basically cooking his arm, yep. and you see the burn that just starts to, like, make his arm black. It's really, really creepy. I, as a kid, man, this was intense, and I loved it. And then Mendez is freaking out. Oh, Jesus, man, Jesus, oh, Christ, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And so finally he lets up. And and I like when, when the colonel, like, you know, turns the lighter off. I like how he tells Mr. Joshua to have Endo look at that. I like it when you name characters that are just small side characters. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's fucking cool. And by the way, Endo is played by the famous Al Leong uh, from Big Trouble in Little China. The, the most henchman henchman ever. So, you know, you know him if you saw him. And he's in actually using his natural voice for once. That's not being ADR'd or, yeah. you know, or he gets to actually talk. Yep. Which La- I would have liked to see more of. Yeah, later on. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So at this point now, the general's like, do we have a deal? And, and Mendez is like, yeah, we got a deal. Sure, sure, sure. Jesus Christ, we have a deal. And the general says, look, the, you know, the bulk of the heroin will arrive Friday night. We will make a delivery at that time. Please have all the money ready and no tricks. This is important because mm-hmm. in timeline-wise, Friday is the, is the end of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like so I like when there's a like a time frame on the movie, you know? Yes. And he says, if you try anything, you'll have to talk to Mr. Joshua. And as Mendez is getting ready to leave, he goes, you guys are out of there. You guys are out of there like Pluto, man, gone. And <laughs> which is, which walk- is ironic because Pluto was gone. It was a planet then, but became gone later. It's not a planet. Uh, that was stupid, but I picked up on it. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's it, almost, it, it was almost prophetic. <laughs> it was prophetic. 
And as he walks out, he bumps into one of the mercenaries. And I want to call out that mercenary who's played by Chad Hayes, who is from the movie Rad. He's one of the twins in the Rad movie. Is he one of the ones that gets uh, shot by Riggs later that's holding uh, uh, Rianne? Is he the one yes, on the he right? he dies very like uh, lazily to the ground. He's got long hair. Yes, he's, he's the one with long hair. The one with long hair, yep. Okay, got it. <laughs> he looks like a, a thinner version of one of the Barbarian brothers. Yes, pretty much. And if you've never seen Rad, um, he I always say he looks like it's like Tomax and Zaymont mm. from uh, from G.I. Joe. They would have been perfectly cast as, as Tom, if they made an 80s movie of G.I. Joe. Yeah. Anyways, from there, you cut to the bank. Michael Huntsacker is about to be introduced. Michael Huntsacker is like the head of the bank, I think. It's his bank. And... Uh, Murtaugh's looking at a photo of him and Mike on his desk. A very, very photoshopped photo because yes. so they can be, you know, look younger and everything, but very well done. It didn't look, it's, it didn't look too fake. It's well done. Yeah. And Murtaugh is telling Mike about the autopsy report on his daughter, Amanda. He says she was poisoned. Even if she hadn't jumped, she'd still be dead. And Mike's like, Jesus, like, I can't take this. I can't take this. And then Murtaugh kind of changes the subject and he goes, Mike, why did you try to get in touch with me? And Mike says, you know, I, I was just hoping that maybe you would help help me find a way to get her out of what she's in. And Murtaugh says, out of what? He goes, oh, stuff she was into, videotapes, porno, like movies, right? And he starts talking about the shit she was doing and we'll find out later. But we'll get to see what she did yeah. very soon. Yeah. Uh, and he starts crying and he looks at a picture. He looks at a photo of, of Amanda and Murtaugh's like, you know, calm down, dude. But <laughs> at the same time, too, his daughter is dead. Yeah. You know, she killed herself, allegedly. But but at the same time, it's the 80s and they're both men. And, you know, he's like, calm down. <laughs> men don't cry. Right. And then and then Mike goes on. He goes, remember, Mur he, he goes, remember, Roger, you owe me. And Murtaugh goes, yeah, I remember. And he goes, I want you to find who did this. I don't want you to kill them. I want you to kill them. Kill them. Kill them. Like starts yelling out like classic Tom Atkins, you know, turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah, from yeah. Halloween three. Yeah. He's, he's doing a lot of acting in the scene. And I, I think this is his best performance in the movie. And Mur Roger's like, Murtaugh's like, I'm a police officer. And, and Mike is like, I don't give a shit. You go and you kill them. You kill them. And Murtaugh's like, uh, we have to go now. And and so Riggs is in the in the background watching all this unfold, kind of like hanging out. And it's great. Riggs does this a couple times in the movie where he's 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 not the center of attention, but you your eyes are drawn towards him to see what he's doing. And he's looking at Mike like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like he he's assessing the situation and knows that there's something up with Mike. And it's more than the fact that his daughter is dead. Yeah, agreed. And, and I and I, I noted that as well. And uh, I didn't note, but but I think you're right. Yeah, this is not a, a singular, um, you know, star driven movie. This is this is more of an ensemble film. If anything, they are completely even in the movie's eyes, Riggs and Murtaugh. And I, I, I love that. You know, I think that's really great. And I think this this scene is an example of that. Like, for the most part, this scene is um, Danny Glover and Tom Atkins. Like, it's their scene, you know. And, and but Riggs is not forgotten about in the background. So it kind of shifts. Sometimes they're, they're both together as the main characters. Sometimes one is and the other one sort of is in the background or something. But I like that. And I think you're right. They do get equal time throughout the entire film. The characters do. Yeah, totally. Totally. 
From there, uh, in Murtog, as he's walking out, says, you know, Mike yells, you owe me. And Murtog says, yeah, I owe you. They go outside. And what's behind them outside? Please tell us. The fucking will turn, dude. So yes. we know exactly where they are. And did you see what they were? So I guess at one point the will turn was a movie theater. Now it's a, a music venue. Um, I saw, uh, I've seen one show there. Who's the lead singer of Slipknot? Corey something. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was never into that, but I went with like a, a girlfriend at the time. So that was the only time I've ever been to the will turn. Um, but I guess it was a movie theater at the time, beca- back in the 80 and 87, because they were showing Lost Boys on there. The Lost Boys is on the marquee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, in well, who, they probably, you know, filmed this in 86. 86, so. yeah, exactly. But uh, no, I love that Lost Boys is on there. In front and center, another Warner Brothers movie at the time. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, nice tie-in. And Riggs is eating hot dogs. <laughs> They're eating a hot dog out front. He loves to eat. <laughs> I appreciate that, by the way. I like to eat, too. Mm-hmm. Then they get a call. They're near their squad car. They get a call on the dispatcher that there's a jumper at the corner of Santa Monica and Orlando. By the way, it's worth noting, the, the original location was... Uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard. So it's somewhat authentic as to where they're going. Yeah. Which is, I always appreciate that they try to keep the, 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 the reality of the locations, right? Of Los Angeles and everything. Now, did yep. you notice when Riggs and Murtaugh get into Murtaugh's uh, cruiser, do you see the family in the car, like over on the other side of them? I guess they didn't shut the street down. I guess they were doing uh, sort of guerrilla style because there's a family of four in that car and all four of them are looking right at the camera with their mouths agape. So I think they had no idea what was happening or whatever, but clearly they're not like extras, you know, they're just in the car next to them. I didn't pick up on that, but that is hilarious. I always love seeing that in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And right before they get in the car, Riggs says, you know, what did Mike mean by you owed him? And Murtaugh says, well, we served in, we served together in 65. He saved my life in the Ladrang Valley, took a bayonet in the lung. Riggs goes, oh, that was nice of him. Dude, fucking (laughs) took a bayonet in the lung. Holy shit. I guess he did owe him, right? Yeah. And that's when Riggs goes, you want me to drive? And, and, And Murtaugh's like, he goes, you're suicidal, remember? And then Riggs goes, anyone who drives in Los Angeles is suicidal. Truth. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Riggs asks what the car, the, the basically the car code is, the police code for their car, calls it in and says he's they're en route. And he says, this, and he goes, this is great. I love this job. Oh, <laughs> Murtaugh's like, just, Murtaugh just goes, stow it. And they drive <laughs> off and, and Riggs goes, partner, can we? Can we put the sirens on? (laughs) (laughs) I like that kind of stuff right there. (laughs) Yeah, me too. From there, we cut to this high-rise building, uh, which originally was the the Emser Rugs and Tile building. Interesting. I'm not even sure if it's still there. Okay. Could be. It's on Santa Monica Boulevard. Okay. In Hollywood, yeah, West Hollywood, which is, which is correct. They would be the clo- you know, if they were on uh, by the Wiltern, they would be the closest one to probably get over there, like ranking wise, you know. Yeah, yeah, even by today's standards, they probably could too. There's a jumper. Uh, they get on the scene, and the cops that are on the scene are are relieved to see that Murtog is there because he's a sergeant. And Murtog says, "Where's the psychologist?" The cop says uh stuck in traffic and they get an id on the guy 
He left an office party, went upstairs, and walked out on the ledge. Murtaugh's not sure if he's serious or not, but the cop says he seems serious enough. Who knows? And Riggs is like kind of excited, and he goes, I can handle this. And Murtaugh says, you qualified to talk to jumpers? And Riggs goes, I've done it before. And he and he's serious. Like He seems like he's sane at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just his methods are interesting. Right. And Murtaugh goes, okay, you're elected. And then he grabs him, and he goes, hey, no guns. No jujitsu, just bring him down. <laughs> and Rig goes, bring him down. Got it. Roger. Uh, I mean, 10-4. I, I, love, I love when he calls him Roger. He goes, see, Roger. You know, because, of course, that is a, a sort of a way of saying 10-4, copy, whatever. So, But he does it on – you can know he does it on purpose. He's like, Roger. And, and Roger Murtaugh's like, what? Huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I love it. And as a kid, I always thought this jumper – was the guy who plays Johnny the Boy in the original Mad Max movie, which at, it's at the end of the movie. Um, Max Rockatansky kind of uh, chains him to the car, tells him he can either you know cut off his hand or cut off the uh, the you know the the handcuffs you know. But and as a kid, I always thought it was the exact same actor, but it's it's not. Now I can't find the actor in IMDb right now scrolling through, I can find the IMDb for Burbank, the cat and Sam, the dog, but I can't find the fucking jumper, but I will say going to Johnny, the boys IMDb page, it does not list uh, lethal weapons. So it's, it's not him and watching it now. I can tell it's not him, but he has that same upper lip thing that, that Johnny, the boy has going on. <laughs> well, this actor is actually uh, his name is Michael Shaner. Where, what's he listed as on here? He's listed under the uh, character's name McCleary. Oh, I figured they were going to list him as Jumper. I see him right here, Michael Shaner uh, McCleary. Okay, you're right. I, I thought they would list him as Jumper. Yeah, he's been in uh, a lot of martial art movies actually, like uh, Blood Fist with Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, he was, was in American Me. He was in Open Fire with Jeff Wincott, no relation to Michael Wincott, but a <laughs> tremendous martial artist. The Expert with Jeff Speakman, another amazing martial artist as well. He was in uh, uh, the cr- guys Crime Zone. You remember that movie I, with um, David Carradine? I always liked the the poster for it, the cover. Yes, the movie is not good. Yeah, ne- never seen the, the movie, but I love the cover. But this this. This guy, and at least in Bloodsport, is very similar. Like he's kind of, I don't know, like, seems like he's coked out of his mind. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So, so not Johnny the Boy from Mad Max. Yes, McCleary. McCleary is his character's name. Michael Shaner. Okay. And so Riggs comes up on the ledge, uh, gets past some cops, and 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 startles the guy. And he's like, "Look, I just want to talk to you." And the guy's freaking out, freaking out. And Riggs is like, look, you know, you're not the first guy to think about this. You know, everyone's got problems, especially during the silly season. <laughs> and the guy's like, you don't know shit. You know shit. And and Riggs is like, you're wrong. You're wrong. And almost to the sense like he he knows that he's wrong because he is going through shit. Yeah. No, I I, I think he's being honest here. I think Riggs is, you know, uh, be, meaning that he's understanding what this guy's going through. Yep. And so. You, you're like they're cutting back to Murtaugh watching the action down on the ground and cutting back up to Riggs and Riggs is trying to get the guy down. He's trying to reason with the guy, but the guy is like super combative, doesn't want to do anything, doesn't want to listen to Riggs at all. And finally, Riggs starts to get with starts to reason with him a little bit. McCleary goes like, you know, don't touch me. I'm not doing anything wrong. And Riggs goes, I know that it's not like you're murdering anyone. <laughs> He goes, right, only one hurting is me, me. 
right? <laughs> and then Briggs is like, come on, look, my boss is watching down there. I got to try to make it at least look like I'm trying to save you, okay? And the guy's like, no, just back and forth, back and forth. Finally, Riggs hops over onto the side of the railing, so he's on the outside of the railing where the jumper is. And I love down below, you know, they cut back to Murtaugh, and Murtaugh's like, don't don't climb over the edge. Don't go, oh, crap, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't do that, don't do that. And so finally, uh, Riggs offers him a cigarette. The guy takes a cigarette. He goes to light the guy's cigarette, and he pulls out his handcuffs, and he handcuffs himself and McCleary, the guy. And Riggs says... We're together on this now. You can take me if you want, but if you do, that makes you a murderer. And the guy and the guy says, You're bastard. And he goes, You'll be killing a cop. And then McCleary goes, Psycho nut cop. <laughs> and that's what triggers Riggs. And then he goes, I'm gonna go inside. What do you say? And he goes, Fuck you, I'm jumping. And that's when Riggs snaps and goes, Do you wanna jump? You really want to? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. <laughs> and then they just jump yeah. off of the ledge, which if you close in on their wrists, yep. you can see that they're actually not hooked up to handcuffs at all. Yeah, so at the beginning, they jump together, and then the stunt people have to grab hands. But this was the first time I ever noticed it. I was like, oh, those uh, <laughs> those handcuffs are not attached, which makes sense because you could break you break their arm or something when you if you don't land right. They need to have it that way. I, I totally get it, but I noticed it for the first time this time. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. I, nowadays, they could fix that in post. Yeah, I think CGI, so. but whatever. Who cares? We care because we're breaking it down. Uh, and they jump onto a big, you know, uh, bounce pad, basically, to, to the firefighters put out to save, to keep jumpers from killing themselves. Yeah. And they're fine. No one dies. Riggs knew that that was there. That's why he did it. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. But Murtaugh doesn't know that. And the the McCleary didn't know that. And McCleary's like pissing his pants practically. Get him away from me. He's trying to kill me. (laughs) So funny. The guy is so good at being like a little bitch. Yeah, but I love, I mean, Riggs did it. He's like, I got him down. That's what you wanted, you know? Right. And Murtaugh grabs him and Riggs goes, "Don't, don't touch me. Murtaugh's like, what the fuck did you just do? And you mentioned earlier your favorite scene when they go into this little side store that's under construction. This is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Yeah, this is great. So Murtaugh, you know, he's not touching Riggs at this point. He goes, and Riggs is like, I control the jump. You wanted him down, he's down. And Murtaugh's like, come here, come here. Getting all deep and guttural. And they walk into a empty storefront. There's a guy like cleaning windows or something out front. And Murtaugh grabs the guy and shoves him out of the door of the <laughs> uh, store and closes the door. Why was that and- guy still working and not a part of the crowd watching? Dude, that guy's the best employee ever. If you've ever seen that G.I. Joe episode, The Viper is coming. He must have been The Viper, <laughs> which is the most racist episode of G.I. Joe, by the way. The Viper. Because, ah, because it's the Viper. It's, it's the wiper is coming. It's yeah, the wiper. Yeah. The wiper. Yeah. Not one of my favorite Joe episodes. The weakest Joe episode, in my opinion, too, as well. Well, one of the weakest. Actually, not not the weakest, but one of them. Anyways, Murtaugh yells, get in here. And he goes, do you want to kill yourself? And Riggs is like, come on. He's like, shut up. Answer the question. Do you or do you not want to die? Yes or no? And Riggs goes, I got the job done. Answer the question. And this is when Riggs goes, what do you want to hear, man? You want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? 
I'd even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head right off. And it's Do the it, job right. And it's important that he pulls this one out and shows it because later on at the end of the movie, it's going to come back into play. That's right. And he goes, but you know, you know why I don't do it? It's the job. Which a part of me is like, he's a committed cop. Yeah. yeah he, he loves what he does. Yeah. And that's when Murtog looks at him and he pulls his own gun out and he says, here. He go, and he goes, don't nibble on this barrel. Pull the trigger. And he puts the gun right up to Riggs' head, right? Under his chin. And Murtog goes, be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. And Riggs is like, don't tempt me, man. And he goes, put it in your mouth. Bullet goes in your ear. Might not kill you. And then Riggs is like, under the chin's just as good. And he puts the gun under his chin. Riggs is just about to pull the trigger, but that's when Murtaugh hold, holds him from doing it and it pinches his finger and he yells out, ow! So so it's awesome because the, the tension is fantastic. The buildup is fantastic. The hammer is slowly coming back. You're kind of cutting back and forth between their eyes and everything. And Riggs has these crazy eyes. And I love how Murtaugh just, yeah, just kind of jams his hand in between the hammer and... And the the primer of the bullet, you know, where the hammer goes to, and, and it, you know, it yeah. fucking he stops the the hammer from hitting it, but you know that pinches his fucking hand. And I was, I'm just as a kid, I'm like, I'm so into the the tenseness of this scene, and it's maybe because as a kid I could also understand this scene and like why everyone was upset, but as an adult I'm watching it and I'm like, this is fucking. This is this is some good shit right here. This is good character shit. This is good acting shit. And then how Mel Gibson, like after this is all over and, and Danny Glover's like all startled and he's like he's like, ow, you know, he hurt his hand. And Mel Gibson like hit the rage washes over his face and he's like, I'm hungry, I'm gonna go get some food. And he like it's just <laughs> yeah. he's he changes and it's awesome. You see it. You actually witness it on his face. Yeah, yeah, because Murtaugh at this point does think he's crazy. He's like, yeah. And, what does he say? You're, you're, you're not. Uh, you're not trying to draw a pension. Uh, you're real. You really are crazy. Yeah, that, I love that, dude. I love that realization. And then, yeah, that's when he says, "I'm hungry. I'm gonna go get something." In the face, yeah, the face he makes, this like kind of sourpuss face, is so funny to me. Uh, it, it's just like it's such an interesting face and kind of comedic too, actually. A, a little bit, but I mean, at the same time you know that he's like taking all this rage and anger and he's putting it somewhere that it's going to come back later. But for right now, you know, he just shoves it down and it just, man, it just, Mel Gibson is acting in this movie and I can see why he wanted, would want this role. You know, it's a, I mean, it's a meaty fucking role for a, for just a cop action movie, you know? Oh yeah. Way better than your typical, just like, you know, I know 48 Hours is considered like one of the first buddy cop movies. Right. And it is. It is on, on like timeline wise. But this is the first one that's really like the benchmark where they're on equal playing fields. Yeah. You know, where they're both cops. They're because yeah. Eddie Murphy's a he's a convict. Yeah. You know, and, and Nick Nolte's the cop. This one is like legit. They're both on the same playing field with their own set of demons, so to speak. Yep. Agreed. From there, we cut to uh, 
Murtaugh on a giant <laughs> old school mobile phone uh, on an overpass. I think it's like the 101 yeah, yeah. or the 10. No, it's 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 over top of the 101. It's over by Universal and everything. But dude, that is the most 80s phone ever because it's one of those phones that's like a briefcase. It's it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's on the phone with the psychologist. She's like, there's something eating away at this guy. I think Rith Riggs has a death wish. Murtaugh goes terrific. So you're saying I should worry. And the psychologist is like, this guy is a ticking time bomb. And when he goes, stand back. You, uh, and when he goes, you don't want to be near him. And Murtaugh goes, thank you, doctor. You've been very helpful. <laughs> he hangs up the phone and a, once again utters that infamous line. I'm getting I'm too, too old, old for, for this, this shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Riggs on the car, uh, sitting on the car, and offering food to Murtaugh. I guess he didn't hear him or wasn't paying attention. Yeah, my, my takeaway was that Murtaugh probably told him, like, oh, I got to call the wife or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because he says to Mur- Murtaugh, he goes, you hungry? Murtaugh, no. Riggs, you want me to drive? No, I'll <laughs> drive. And Riggs and Murtaugh get in the car. Riggs asks if he got a bad personal phone call. Did the stock market crash? He goes, would you like a French fry? <laughs> and they pull off down the road. And they're in the car and cut to Murtaugh mumbling to himself. He's like, 50 years old today. 50 goddamn years old. Been on the force 20 years. Not a scratch on me. I got a wife, kids, house, fishing boat. I can kiss all that goodbye because my new partner's got a death wish. My fucking life is over. And Riggs is like, um, uh, uh, and he goes, shut up, shut up. <laughs> You're talking to a dead man. <laughs> Why are you talking to me? I'm not here anymore. I'm a dead man. I, I you love, see that? I, you want to die? You want to take me with you? <laughs> I love Murtaugh's freak out, man. I love it. <laughs> and then he almost like a, he almost crashes into a car and they swerve out of the way. And Murtaugh goes, don't worry. I was driving before you were an itch in your daddy's pants. <laughs> and then Riggs goes, I didn't know that. And Murtaugh goes, no, what? He goes, that today was your birthday. And Murtaugh goes, it was yesterday. And he goes, well, happy birthday. I mean, for for yesterday. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> it, Which is true. It's yeah. He's being sweet. No, I know. know. And, and this is this seems important because right now, that's free. Like what he just said, Murtaugh kind of cracks a little bit and you know he's like oh thanks you know and you you start smiling a bit and this is the moment that their relationship starts to change i think it gets solidified after uh rig saves murtaugh in beverly hills the next scene but i think this is the turning point right here and i think it became it came from the sincerity of Riggs being like, hey, man, you know, just happy birthday, man, you know. And and whether they're at odds or whatever, you know as well as I do, guy and gal, guy and guy, girl and girl. When you click with somebody, when there's, like, chemistry, you know, it's hard to fucking stick with the, the, the angry stuff. Like, you just, you easily sort of get past it. And they... You know, I, I think Danny Glover and and Mel Gibson have chemistry, and thus I think Riggs and Murtaugh have chemistry. Yeah, and Riggs wants a friend. I yeah. mean, he's really he's desperate for any connection because he doesn't have any connection with anybody and, at this point. He's the one that's really needing something. Murtaugh doesn't need anything. Murtaugh just wants to retire. Right. You know, you're right. That That's actually a, a very important point to bring up is that Riggs needs Murtaugh sort of more than Murtaugh needs needs Riggs, at least emotionally. But Riggs doesn't really probably sort of 
know that. Um, my two notes that I, I had no idea, kind of didn't pay attention when I was a kid. Uh, dude, Murtaugh made it through 20 plus years on the force without a damn scratch or a scar. I was like, okay. And I think as a kid, I missed that. But as an adult, I'm like, oh, that is such an important character thing for Murtaugh because it shows how careful he is and everything. It's, it's actually a really good point. And then did yeah. you notice that weird bald spot on Mel Gibson's, the side of his head, every time he turned his hair, uh, it just, it was bad hair and makeup, but he had this big old bald spot right here on the side of his head. And once I noticed it, I couldn't stop looking at it. Yeah. Very weird. I'm like, Oh, that was, that's, a, uh, did someone accidentally shave his head? Yeah, it was, it's, it's very noticeable, but only in the scene. It's never apparent in any other time. Yeah. They fixed it moving. Yeah. <laughs> And they didn't want to reshoot the scene because it was probably too good. Yeah. Uh, be- because, that, yeah, Riggs is like, you know, maybe if I stay alive long enough, I'll buy you a present. <laughs> and that's when Murtaugh laughs. because it's the least I could do after all the kindness you've shown me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, they continue to laugh. And then Riggs says, yeah, where are we going? And Murtaugh says, Beverly Hills. Got an address on Amanda Hunsaker's meal ticket. But remember, this guy is, isn't a suspect yet. And, and as a kid... I didn't know how they, I didn't understand how they got to that conclusion. And now as an adult, we know that it's when he asked that one detective, um, you know, who's paying for the pad. And that guy's like, it's going to take some time to find out that, that this is the information that he found out. And even though we didn't see that, like that detective give it to Murtaugh as an adult, I don't think you need to as an, no. as a kid, I probably needed that because I didn't quite understand how they got to Beverly hit that location, you know? Yeah, as a kid, I didn't care. Now it makes sense to me. Yep. They banter a little bit about smoking in the car because <laughs> Riggs wants to smoke and Murtaugh doesn't want him to. And he's like, you want you want me to open up a window? Does that make you happy? <laughs> Murtaugh's like, that's not the point, man. And they just continue on. And I on. love it's it. It's really funny. They pull into this palatial estate in Beverly Hills. Um, they pull up to the gate. The gate opens. Out comes a uh, girl on a... Uh, on a scooter and yells out to them, go on in, make yourselves at home. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and Murtaugh says, we don't need a warrant with an invitation. And then as they pull in, Riggs goes, Jesus, I saw this on the lifestyles of the rich and shameless. <laughs> he has some one liners where I'm like, that was kind of cheesy and yeah. stupid, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, they walk into this palatial estate and they walk past a big window where they t- see two beautiful brunettes uh, packing up cocaine. <laughs> packing cocaine. <laughs> and one of them is Joan Severance, by the way. Oh. Joan Severance was in, um, well, one of her infamous movies was uh, the Hulk Hogan classic, No Holds Barred. Oh, okay. And Joan Severance was on like Red Shoe Diaries. She did a lot of straight-to-cable movies. Uh, fan and friend Aaron Don Gilmer definitely knows who Joan Severance is. And if you know... Anything about Aaron? You can sh- uh, from her podcast, Manic Movie Monday. She loves a certain genre of movies. So does Corey too. Yeah, but, yeah the, the uh, same ones so that did, I love. <laughs> so did I when I was twenty six and single, um, and had a lot of time on my hands. Uh, <laughs> and other things in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Joan Severance, beautiful woman. By yeah, the way. sure. Uh, she's she... the one in like the the dark black outfit and there's one in blue i think yeah i was gonna ask which one she she was the one that was in like sort of a not it's not dominatrix but sort of yeah. a leathery kind of outfit 
kind of leathery, yeah. dominatrixy looking. Yeah. So uh, the the girls kind of like smile at them, and then Riggs shows off his gun and badge, and they freak out. <laughs> that and that that smile turns into a frown very quickly. And I love this because there's a dude at the pool, obviously like the homeowner or whatever, starts blasting them with a shotgun, and Riggs. Uh, Murtog yells to Riggs to get the girls and throws Riggs his handcuffs because those come in handy because what Riggs does is he cuffs both girls to a tree and then goes to help Murtog out. Murtog blasts the guy with the shotgun in the leg, wounding him, and Murtog's going on about no killing. Uh, See, I I didn't kill the guy, I didn't hurt him. And as they go over, the guy has kind of his hands between his legs on the ground. Murtog asks to see his hands. And that's when, like, Riggs is holding him. The guy kind of shoves off and goes to blast them again with another gun. And they shoot the guy. Riggs shoots the guy. And, and it's cool because Riggs shoots him, like, from the hip. Like, he draws his gun, doesn't aim, but he kind of just draws it and flicks it, like, right, like, like hip shots him. You know? Yeah. which is Which is awesome. But notice, like, Murtaugh completely freezes. Like, he doesn't do anything. He would have been dead yeah. if Riggs wasn't there. And then yeah, and, and and I think that and this is of course a huge turning point for them. For sure, because now this guy is blasted into the pool, which had a pool cover on it. He's now choking and dying in the pool cover. He does drown. Riggs and Murtaugh go in the pool to get him. Up to no avail. He's dead. Uh they jump, they get out of the pool. <laughs> and I love this exchange because this is when Murtaugh goes, have you ever met someone you didn't kill? And Riggs goes, well, I haven't killed you yet. <laughs> Murtaugh goes, well, don't do me no favors. Riggs goes, well, don't you worry. Riggs gets out of the pool. Murtaugh tries to get out of the pool, but he's too tired. and He just kind of passes out on the side. <laughs> Cut to an Alka-Seltzer commercial. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted? for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Cut to that Alka-Seltzer commercial. Uh, Riggs is watching TV at this dude's house. They've like uh, gotten like basically dry clothes on at this point. I don't know where Murtaugh got that sweater. He, got, he has like a sweatshirt on underneath his sport coat. And it's such a weird thing because they're like in 
the the dead suspects like pool house like watching his tv watching his tv like why is this not why is not the whole place a crime scene but um yep. okay okay because the the main part of this is Murtaugh saying thank you to Riggs, you know. He, yeah, he says thank you. He says I'm sorry I said that shit back there. You saved my life. Thank you. Riggs just says Riggs says I bet that hurt to say. Murtaugh says you'll never know. <laughs> Come on, let's go get a bite, right? And they leave. And uh, and that's what so so this now I think completes the whole, you know, like well, I, I will say like him going to Murtaugh's house uh, for dinner, um, which is another scene that I actually love, um, it, it yeah, sort of too. completes the trifecta of of their their relationship, their bonding, and everything. But at this point right here, I think that like Murtaugh trusts Riggs now. You know, like that's that's put to rest. Yeah, it's really yeah, and now now they can start bonding more. Yeah, so once you get past the lack of trust, once you have trust, they can now start bonding and actually becoming friends. And then by the end of this series, by movie number four, I mean they're family, and that's again that's the one thing I love about this movie is their relate. This series is their relationship over the course of this series. Yeah, I appreciate that too. Cut to Murtaugh's home, where uh, Murtaugh's daughter says to his wife rogers here (laughs) which is weird uh anyways the the daughter answers the door his youngest daughter and he says daddy is this a crook and he goes no this is my new partner (laughs) murtaugh walks in with his daughter and he sees his other son with his foot on the couch tells him to get his leg off the couch walking him in through the house and they walk in on the mom who's making dinner. Trish, Trish the dish. Trish the dish. <laughs> Nobody calls me that. <laughs> uh, Murtaugh's about to introduce Riggs to his wife, but the daughter interrupts and says, this is, this is Martin, daddy's new partner. And he joins them for dinner, which is really sweet. Murtaugh acts, acts. <laughs> Murtaugh asks Rig if he wants something to drink. He's like, what do you got? Murtaugh goes, Canadian mist? <laughs> he says it a couple times. It's like, there's Canadian mist around here or something like that. Well, and, and they're like, Murtaugh's like so goofy in this scene, but I but I get it. Like he's weirdly, he's like trying to impress him. But like at this point, you can tell Murtaugh likes Riggs. Like at this point moving forward, like he wants him to be his friend. He's kind of being goofy. You know, even his wife, Trish kind of smacks him on the butt, even calls him out on it. It's like, you're, you're being an ass, you know, but it's, it's, it is that, I don't know. It's that you're showing off for your friend type of thing. Like I feel it, like it feels very genuine and natural. Yeah. And then you start to realize that Murtaugh doesn't really have like normal friends. No. He has his family. He's a family family. guy. I I guarantee you has no other like guy friends, you know? Yeah. And he's, he's kind of getting excited about this. That's when, uh, Rianne comes down the stairs. I was going to say somebody's getting excited pretty soon. Speaking of excited, she comes down the stairs and sees Riggs and she pops a boner. Basically. (laughs) She does. She pops a lady boner hard for him. Yes. And everybody notices. (laughs) (laughs) And then next thing you know, they're at the dinner table. And Rianne is like in love with Riggs. She's making those FMIs, <laughs> so to speak. And Murtaugh's talking to Riggs about fishing, just kind of going on about fishing. And it's kind of nonsense stuff. He's like, oh, we should go out to Catalina. It's where I caught my wife. And uh, Rianne goes to get dessert. And she goes, Mr. Riggs, would you like a tart? Riggs goes, call me Martin. 
And she goes, Martin? <laughs> and then uh, Murtog looks at the two of them and he goes, um, Mr. Riggs. <laughs> and then his two younger kids start rapping. The son is beatboxing. <laughs> and the girl, the youngest one, Carrie, goes, my name is Carrie. I'm no fairy. My sister's Sherry. She's in love with this guy named Martin. <laughs> and then Rianne gets totally pissed off. And Murtog, and then they they say, do it, Daddy, you do it. And Murtog starts to rap. He goes, I'm going to find a fodger. My name is Roger. I need to be a podger and a secret hodger. A hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-hoodie-
and it's a tight script, man, because that kid's going to come into play later, you know, but as a kid, I missed all this shit, but, like, as an adult, I'm like, oh, fuck, like, later on, like, that's, like, there's no wasted dialogue in this movie. Right, and 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 Riggs is like, hey, come on, Raj, have a heart, you know, and then, of course, Rianne's, like, excited because she, Riggs is sticking up for her. Yeah. And Murtaugh says, hey, good buddy, this girl was smoking pot in the house. She's grounded. And then Rianne says, fine, next time I'll just take a beer. Why can't I Why can't I have a beer and not a joint? It's not Coke, you know. And he goes, because beer's legal and grass ain't, right or wrong. And Rianne says, wrong. And Riggs goes, right. <laughs> I like that. And I like the, the commentary there. Both Riggs and Murtaugh, I guarantee you, as cops, they're both like, you know, they don't probably agree that grass should be illegal. But it is, and that's that is just what it is. Yep, and Brianne's happy because Riggs yep. sided with her, and yep. she walks off smiling. And Murtaugh goes, "I've lost track. Did we resolve anything here tonight?" And Riggs <laughs> goes, "Yeah, we resolved that your wife takes out the garbage, your daughter <laughs> smokes pot, which is illegal but shouldn't be, and that you don't know, and that you don't know from boats, and that you got one hell of a family." And Murtaugh goes, "Thanks." And he goes, "I enjoyed the meal." And Murtaugh says, bullshit, but thanks anyways. <laughs> I love I love his assessment. I love Riggs's assessment of everything right there. Yeah, and R- Riggs is walking off to his car. And Riggs goes, you don't trust me at all, do you? Murtaugh says, tell you what, make it through tomorrow without killing anybody, especially me or yourself, then I'll start trusting you. Riggs says, fair enough. Riggs has a beer in, that he's been drinking, and he throws the beer at Murtaugh, but it just happens to hit the trash can perfectly like, a, like he's dunking a basket. And uh, and Briggs says, I do it real good, you know. Murtaugh says, do what? Riggs says, when I was 19, I did a guy in Laos from a 1,000 yards out. Rifle shot in high wind. Maybe eight or ten guys in the world could have made that shot. Only thing I was ever good at. And then he kind of, he kind of pauses and he goes, oh, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And Murtaugh says, yeah. He goes, well, hey, hey, Riggs, you really like my wife's cooking? And Riggs goes, No. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Dude, this whole scene is great from beginning to end, the dinner all the way up through the the boat. But I love that moment at the end where, where Riggs is like, he's like, he's like leaning against his truck, kind of yeah. sheepishly looking at uh, Roger, you know, Murtaugh, because he's, he's letting, I feel like he's letting Murtaugh in on something. He doesn't even tell the psychiatrist, you know, and he, he's being completely authentic and, and, and also vulnerable. But he's like, he's like, it's all I was ever good at is killing people, you know? And I think that was a very true statement that came out of him. And I think that, you know, yeah, it was a little juxtaposed, you know, opposed with the, some funniness of him throwing the beer can and stuff, which also shows that they're sort of on the same link, you know, wavelength together and everything. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, it's true. All of this is great, man. All of this is fucking great. It is. It is. And it's a great way again the the relationship gets stronger and stronger scene by scene yep every every scene it's, it gets better but now Murtaugh's alone in his house and everybody's asleep and he's looking through there's a package a birthday gift from his from his kids it's he opens it up and it's like a it's the old school like police action playset that yeah. you would get at a grocery store and then there's a, a package underneath that says police evidence Opens it up, and there's two things in there. There's a video cassette and a high school yearbook. Opens up the high school yearbook to see a picture of Amanda Hunsaker. 
pops in the tape. Well, Amanda Hunsaker and her sister is right next to her. So sorry, and that, yes, and that's really the only thing that that's we get from the that yearbook. Like that's the whole point of that yearbook to show that she she has a sister, which I guess did is they a, ever bring that sister into the movies later on in other movies? No, not into the movies. You know, other than just later on when Tom Atkins is like, I, I have another daughter, you know, but I guess, are they twins? Cause they're right next to each other and they're in the same class, but they didn't, I mean, they don't I mean, look the same though. Probably, but that would, that would have been a cool kind of plot point. Yeah. Moving forward in the sequels. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Anyways, the, the videotape is titled uh, Amanda and her friends. And cuts to Murtog watching a basically a porno. Uh, girls showering together, uh, looking drugged out. Pretty accurate as to uh, what '80s porn looked like. Yeah. No one having a good time. Everybody like pretending to be having a good time, but not really, uh, because you know they're being forced into it. Right. And Murtog looks totally depressed and disheveled because he's like, this could be my daughter. Essentially, you know, that's what you're thinking. And and I'm glad Trish didn't walk downstairs in on him watching this <laughs> uh, por- evidence porno that I'm watching. <laughs> Sorry, honey. It was it, 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 it's, it's evidence. evidence. It's, it's my job. <laughs> Cut to the next day. Murtaugh's asleep with his cat Burbank on his chest. <laughs> I like that name for, for the cat, by the way. That is funny. Yeah. It gets brought up a couple times uh, in the movie to, to acknowledge that its name is that we're in Los Angeles, I guess. And Riggs puts a big old cup of coffee under his nose, startling <laughs> him. Have some coffee. And it, it's great because they're friends now. That's at this point moving forward. They're fucking friends. Yes. And Murtaugh wants to sleep and Riggs is like ready to go, you know, <laughs> asking them questions and. Uh, wants to talk about the, the 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 case. Briggs is like, "What was the name of that hooker? You know, what was her name?" And Murtaugh goes, "It was Dixie." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come on, we you know, let's get going." Basically, and Briggs is like, "Fine, but g- give me give me that coffee." Because Briggs <laughs> takes a swig of it and he he goes to take the coffee out of his hand. From there, we cut to one of the more famous scenes in the movie: the uh, out the firing range. Yeah, and Murtaugh and. Riggs are both shooting at targets, but talking about the case. Murtaugh says someone was in bed with Amanda the night she died. This is interesting, and this is maybe something you want to talk about. It is. And Riggs goes, right, till now we assumed it was a man. And Murtaugh says, okay, well, let's say let's say it was Dixie. And Riggs says, okay, disgusting, but okay. Let's say Dixie slipped the drain cleaner into his pills. Yeah, I noted that, and I was like, I, I was like what the fuck? Okay. homophobic comments it, well it one of two because another yep. one is going to come when dixie's house explodes and i'm just like oh like really did you really need to fucking first off we all watch pornos with two women it's not disgusting it's great it's fantastic but like at the same time i'm like is this a fucking mel gibson thing just like in the next scene with dixie's house is it a mel gibson thing but okay okay let's move past it I do love in movies when at some point in the film, the characters figure out what this, the plot is and actually explain it. And again, it's another piece of dialogue where it does what it's supposed to do. It explains the plot to you here and you're going to explain it, but it does it naturally. And I, that's what the takeaway from this movie is how natural Shane Black explains things that you need to know but makes it entertaining and also makes it so it's believable between the two 
the two characters because yeah they they're going to figure this shit out while they're shooting because that's how your brain works like you 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 figure shit out when you're doing something else you know what i mean like that's you, you talk it out and i love that i love this scene other than the whole thing of rick saying disgusting but okay yeah art imitating life who that's, knows i think i think it's yeah or i do think i think that's a little bit of mel gibson in there and whenever i see people that are like i don't know disgusted by things that are not what they're into or you know go against what their beliefs are i think what happened to you as a child yeah who did that to you yeah you know anyways yeah they're going uh they're, they're basically breaking down the fact that dixie is what was most likely the one in the room with amanda amanda swallowed the pills boom she's dead then dixie uh has plenty of time to clean up the place and get out except Murtaugh says, except Amanda jumps out the window. Riggs says, or Dixie pushed her. Either way, Murtaugh says, either way, she's got to make a quick getaway because now the body's public. She hauls ass downstairs. Riggs says, yeah, people are coming out to see what happened. Murtaugh says, someone spots her. She says, shit. <laughs> and Riggs, Riggs says, goes, <laughs> right. She actually stops and says, shit. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Murtaugh says, point being, now she has to cover her ass. And I love it. It's all that's correct. Other than, like, I like the fact that they are unsure whether Dixie pushed her or not, even though we as the viewer know that she jumped. But I like that it doesn't matter either way. They're still right about everything that matters, like everything else. Yeah, and they've kind of broken this down, and Murtaugh goes, that's pretty fucking thin. And Riggs goes, very thin. But Murtaugh says, hell with it. Thin's my middle name. With with your wife's cooking, I can see why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? What'd you say? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> And now he says, remarks like that will not get you invited to to, to Christmas dinner. <laughs> and then Riggs goes, my luck's changing every day. <laughs> then they finally bring in the targets that they were shooting at. And Riggs is like perfect chest and face. Yeah. Murtaugh's is pretty good, too. And they compare. Yeah. Murtaugh's like, oh, look at this. And then he looks at Riggs and he's like, oh, fine. Let me show you what I what an old man can do. Just warming up. And he moves the target back. I don't know. Let's say 50 feet. Yeah. Takes a uh, Point blank shot with one bullet straight in the head, right? But he does his like famous head cock thing before yep. he shoots, and that's something that'll gonna that's gonna go through the rest of the series is him doing that head cock and then you know taking a real solid one shot essentially. Yeah, kind of marvels at what he did, and then Riggs says, "Step aside, old man," and he puts a new target on there, moves it back even further. Let's say he moves it back 100 feet. I, I think it's I think it's 200. I think it, it's really fucking far. It's awesome. He shoots probably like eight or nine shots, brings the target back in, and he shot a smiley face <laughs> into the face. And then he gives it to Murtaugh, and he goes, have a nice day, and just walks off. Fucking love it. Cut to an East L.A. suburb uh, in the morning, the following day, or probably the following day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Murtaugh and Riggs pull up in front of Dixie's house and there's these four little kids playing on the sidewalk with chalk and they go, "Uh Oh, policemen are here. <laughs> and they get out of Riggs, Murtaugh get out of the car. Murtaugh puts his hands up like, you know, freeze basically. Yeah. Like don't freezing to him. Right. And, it, and because you can tell he's good with kids because he's got fucking kids of his own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the kids are, the kids all yell out, you got to bust Dixie. And Riggs goes, oh, no, we're going over there for a cup of coffee. And Murtaugh says, yeah, we're going over there to have breakfast. And the kids say, they start singing, chanting, you're going to bust Dixie, you're going to bust Dixie. And then Murtaugh signals to them to, like, you know, shh, be quiet. 
And as they're walking over, Murtaugh says, like I said, thin. And Riggs goes, yeah, it's probably nothing. And the next thing you know, as soon as they get close to Dixie's house, it explodes. And sends them fucking flying. And like, and again, as a kid, I did not understand how this was connected to the rest of the movie. Like whose house this Me was. Too. But now Me I'm too. like, oh, okay, I, I'm following all of this. And I'm, I feel like I'm getting a whole new layer of the film. You know, covering a, the yep. layer that is the story. <laughs> Finally figuring out what this movie's about. And it's not just like bang, bang. Um, after this happens, Riggs, I didn't see it. And I watched this movie like, three times uh, in breaking it down. I didn't see flame on Murtaugh on Riggs's jacket, but there's supposed to be flame on Riggs's jacket and Murtaugh is putting out his jacket, kind of basically like throwing, you know, like patting him down. Yeah. And, and Riggs says, Hey, what are you a F a G? And then Murtaugh goes, you're on fire. Your coat's on fire. Fucking, I can't stand that, man. Like, really? Like, are you really going to fucking say that to somebody like, who's like... that's such like, a stupid line. That's so lame. I I hate it. If I could literally change one thing about this movie, I would just drop that that little dialogue that I hated it. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. Agreed. And I'm not even going to give it any more nope. airtime. Let's, yeah, so move on. It ki- sucks. Kids are like the kids are like. Did you see that? That was great. And they're they're <laughs> like, know, okay, like, they're, they're like, on the squad car, like high fiving each other, basically. And, and Riggs and fucking Murtaugh are like, oh, okay, okay, calm, calm down, kids. We just we, we just got blown up. They're, they're right? trying to recover right now, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then they they go to the, they ask the kids. They're like, you okay? You got all your fingers and toes? Murtaugh is calling in the explosion. Kids are like messing with Riggs. They're like, do it again, do it again. Murtaugh's like, enough, enough. <laughs> and then the kids go, do you think Dixie was home? And they kind of look at each other and they nod. Well, I love and how it immediately then cuts to the fire department at the house watching the body bag come out. And as a kid, I definitely didn't pick up on that. But I was like, that's good editing right there. It's Yeah, it's classic. Yeah, that's where we go. And Murtaugh uh, notices that Riggs got something. And he says, Riggs says, I, it's part of a device. And Riggs is excited. He's like, this is artwork. Murtaugh's like, I'm glad you like it. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. This is real pro stuff. Haven't seen this since the war. Riggs says, CIA used to hire mercs who used the same setup, Mercury switches. And then a patrol cop calls them over and says, you better come with me. Cop calls them over to the fire truck away from the house and says, a bunch of kids were playing this morning. This one saw someone working on the meter. Murtaugh says, where? And he says, across the street at Dixie's. He was playing some kind of game. He's hiding under the porch. Says he saw the guy pretty good. So there's like four kids. Uh, One of them has 3D glasses on. Of course. That's the one. That's the one I'll be referring to moving forward. Yeah, and I but I love his other, his friend is the one that has all the personality though. Yeah, true. Is it true? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so Riggs like Riggs kind of scoffs at the whole thing. He's like, "Come on, this kid's six years old." And the cop and and the cop goes, "If that." Murtaugh says, "Will you call the gas company?" And the cop says, "Sure did. No one was supposed to check the meter for at least another month." Murtaugh says, "Well, let me handle this." He walks over to the kids who are sitting on the fire truck. And he says, you know, I'm Detective Murtaugh. What's your name? <laughs> He's and like the, super sweet about it. 
Yeah, and the other kids are like, don't tell him your name. He's going to put you in jail. You won't see your mom. <laughs> and, and then the other kid goes, don't tell him your name, Alfred. And he gives him his name. And he goes, Alfred, Alfred. Murtaugh goes, this is Alfred, everybody. Meet Alfred. Hi. <laughs> and so he goes, I bet you like the GoBots. Yeah, the GoBots, not Transformers, <laughs> but the no, GoBots. Nice deep cut. <laughs> and Alfred just simply responds and goes, is that a real gun? And then Murtaugh says, yes, it is. And Alfred says, do you kill people? And Murtaugh says, no, if a guy's hurting someone, I try to shoot him in the leg. And he looks at Riggs. <laughs> try to shoot him in the leg. <laughs> and Alfred says, my mama says policemen shoot black people. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. yep. Riggs laughs, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know. And then the kids go, is it true? His, his uh, Alfred's little buddy who has the personalities. He's, is it true? Is that true? Keeps saying mm-hmm. it over and over again. Murtaugh says, the other police officer to take the other kids and get ice cream. They all go to get ice cream and Murtaugh holds Alfred back. And he starts asking him, Alfred, about if he got a good look at this guy. Do you have a picture in your head? Riggs is kind of scoffing at all of this. And, you know, he, he goes, think about it. Can you draw him? And Riggs goes, oh, great. Attention all units. He goes, we're going to put an APB out on Big Bird. Attention all <laughs> units, large yellow bird, silly voice. And Murtaugh goes, you're hilarious. And he's like, Alfred, can you draw the man? You know, tell me what he looks like. He goes, what is, was he black? And the kid goes, no. Was he white? The kid goes, mm-hmm. Tell me what color was his hair? Was it brown? Was it black? Was it blonde? Mm-hmm. Blonde. His hair was blonde. Yes, his hair was blonde. Just the way he <laughs> know, says it is so, so funny, man. <laughs> and he goes, what did he have on, jeans? <laughs> and the kid goes, he's pained. <laughs> yeah. It's and like, he goes, pained. What's pained? What's he trying to say? He was painted? And the kid goes, yeah. And he points at Riggs' tattoo, and he says he had that tattoo just like that. And then Riggs goes, that's a special forces tattoo to Murtog. And then they start, they like leave the kids sitting there and they walk away. They got all the information they wanted. That kid's sitting there with no ice cream, nothing. <laughs> no, nothing. Thanks and, a lot. I know. And, and you can Fuck tell you cops <laughs> and you can tell that the actor, the kid actor doesn't know what to do. Cause they get the cameras on them on Riggs and Murtog talking. And he's just sort of sitting there looking around like, well, what do I do now? Essentially. <laughs> it's, where's my ice cream? Shit. And that's how Gee. they probably paid him with ice cream. <laughs> and so, Riggs is like, special forces tattoo, Mercury switches. Murtaugh says, what the hell are we getting into here? And Riggs goes, I wonder if there's an opening in the L.A. fire department. Yeah, because he's like, <laughs> he I don't want to fucking, I don't want to go fucking head to head with these guys, man. Nope. Cut to Palace Verdes. Beautiful Palace Verdes. I didn't recognize that right away. Oh. I'm like, oh, that's my favorite spot to go to in Southern California is Palace Verdes. Hey, yeah, and Myra called it right out of the gate. She was like, ah, it's Palace Verdes, isn't it? And I was like, ah, it looks mm-hmm. like it. Beautiful. They're at the funeral for Amanda Huntsacker. Everybody at the funeral is like outside looking out at the oceans. There's chairs out there. And there's like an in the uh, room on the in like there's a building and Riggs Riggs is outside, but uh Murtaugh and Huntsacker are inside the building talking. Yeah, it seems like this is probably where they're gonna have the post funeral reception or something, because there's all that eggnog right there. <laughs> Yeah, there's all this eggnog. Gotta have the eggnog <laughs> at the funeral reception. And Murtog, Murtog's like, you want to tell me about this? And then Huntsacker goes, tell, tell you about what? 
And Murtaugh says, don't bullshit me. Your daughter wasn't killed because of something she was into. She was killed because of something you were into. Stop me if I'm wrong. My, and Hunsaker goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he goes to like grab something from inside his jacket, like maybe a cigarette, right? And Murtaugh goes, hey, Mike, keep your hands away from your pocket. Gets really paranoid yeah. because everyone's dying right now. Fuck right? yeah. Hunsaker's like, take it easy. And Murtaugh goes, fuck easy. When you called me the other day, you were going to blow the whistle, weren't you? And Hunsaker goes, blow the whistle on what? Murtaugh says, you were going to spill your guts so they killed your daughter. Tell me I'm wrong. Hunsaker starts to starts to stutter a little bit. And he goes, they killed your daughter. They paid off a hooker to poison your daughter. Talk to me. And Hunsaker goes, damn it, Roger. I've got another daughter. Murtaugh says, she'll be protected. And, Mur- and Hunsaker goes, you can't protect you can't protect her. You don't know these people. And Murtaugh says, acquaint me. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is when you get the full backstory. Yep. Hunsaker goes, it goes all the way back to the war. I ended up working for a group called Air America, which, which Mel is, Gibson started yes. a movie called Air America with Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I was going to say. And it's Tim a Thomerson, movie. I believe. Yeah, it's a movie. I, I, I've seen it. I remember it. <laughs> I think, was Tim Thomerson that? I know Clayton Roner was in that. Maybe, who know, or, Yeah, I think so. Okay. Anyways. He goes, I ended up working for a group called Air America. CIA front secretly ran out the entire war out of Laos. I was part of a special unit called Shadow Company. Mercs. Trained killers. When Charlie was bringing in heroin to finance the VC government, Shadow Company went in and burned it all down. We killed everybody. But we also formed a plan. A couple of years ago, Shadow Company got together. The war was over, but we still had a list of sources in Asia. And we've been bringing it in ever since. Murtaugh says, bringing in what? Hunsacker says, heroin. Two shipments a year run by ex-CIA soldiers, mercs. No one knows. Pour some eggnog and drink. Well, he picks up a carton of eggnog, starts drinking it. Murtaugh says, you son of a bitch. If you're getting cold feet, why'd they kill Amanda? Why not just kill you? And Hunsacker says, they can't. They need me. My bank. It's the front. Makes everything look good on the tax report. This is big business. And then Murtaugh says, not anymore. I'm going to burn it down. Yeah. And Huntsacker, I love that line. Huntsacker says, you can't. It's too big. These guys are trained killers. Murtaugh says, tell me about the next shipment. Huntsacker says, no, 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 no way. I've got a daughter. And, and they start arguing, kind of going back and forth. And suddenly out of nowhere, a helicopter rises up off the cliffside with Joshua on the, with holding a rifle, m- machine gun. And starts shooting the shit out of everything and blasts a bullet hole through Huntsacker in his back, causing it to go through his eggnog. And Tom fucking Atkins dying in the silliest way possible kind of gives this derp look and then falls to the ground. Yeah, it's it's super derpy, man. Even as a kid, he kind of like he's like, oh, you know, type well, of I guess I'm dead. I guess I'm dead now. <laughs> I'm just like, uh. Even as a kid, I never liked it, but I do like how Riggs starts shooting at the helicopter and it sort of, you know, he he has one clip, fires everything as the helicopter's flying away, and then he fucking, you know, reloads and then kind of balances himself and then unloads another clip at the helicopter, and you know some of those fucking probably hit part of it and everything, but I liked that. So it goes from me not liking the Tom Atkins death to me loving Riggs, like trying to take down that helicopter with his handgun. Yeah. I will say there's about three or four deaths in this film that are laughably silly. 
Um, but it doesn't take away from the intensity and the action and knowing how good of a shot. And I didn't think about this as a kid either, knowing how good of a shot Riggs is, he could have easily taken out that helicopter if he had more bullets or, you know, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But I love that. Cause Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah. Me too. I, I dig that. And I was just going to say air America, uh, came out in 1990. Um, yes. Tim Thomerson is in air America. Uh, so is art LaFleur. Uh, so is Ned Eisenberg. Um, and so is David, uh, Bo, who we saw in, um, um, uh, Fort Fairlane, and he tells him to go take Mulholland. You know, he's one of the two guys who goes tell him take Mulholland. You'll like the curves. So. Is Clayton Roner in that too? Uh, I do not see Clayton Roner in it. Maybe he's in Bat Twenty One. Oh, Anyways. I remember Bat Twenty One. I remember that one too. You might be All thinking those, of like, David Marshall Grant is in it. He's kind of got a little bit of a, a Roner look to him, but yeah, Clayton Roner was in one of those war movies. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, then they made a TV series out of that with uh, Robert Hayes, I think. Air America it was, in, was a TV series too. I, I think it was a yeah. It was a TV oh series shit! Well. You're right. No, uh, Lorenzo Lamas. Lorenzo Lamas. Oh right. shit! I didn't know they turned it into a fucking TV show as well. Okay. Yeah, there's your TV obscura. <laughs> yes, Dude, we could we could tie that one with um, the Starman. Starman TV show as as yeah sequels to movies. <laughs> there you go. All <laughs> right. One. So from yeah, we'll have to do that eventually on. TV Obscura, but we won't do the Lethal Weapon TV series. So <laughs> I'm calling uh, Air America, and you can do Starman and Diallo. We'll have to think of something. Yeah, <laughs> we'll think of something good. Anyways, uh, yeah, Murtaugh goes up, finds Riggs. He didn't get hit by any bullets, by the way. No. And he sees Riggs, and he goes, "You through?" And Riggs, of course, says, "I haven't even started yet." As the helicopter flies away, cut to the helicopter. The general uh, Joshua was talking to the general. And he says, uh, Huntsacker, is, Huntsacker is dead. I'm afraid, however, there's a, there's another problem that exists. The general says, explain. Huntsacker says, or Joshua says, Huntsacker spoke to the cops, sir. Are the cops dead? Says the general. Joshua says, no, sir, I missed. And the general says, that is very disappointing. The police may know everything. The whole operation, yes. And Joshua says, awaiting orders, sir. And then the general says, Joshua, I think it's time to turn up the heat. Jesus, you haven't already turned up the heat? (laughs) (laughs) Cut to nighttime. This is a really interesting scene. I get it it has, it's important, but it's kind of a disjointed scene because now it's nighttime. And it's raining. It's raining. Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny that it's raining. And and we don't don't get any scenes of, and I think this, I think the problem is like later on in, in movies, we would have a scene of the bad guy doing some infiltration and getting some information here. It's almost like a surprise that Mr. Joshua is going to show up there, but it's also a surprise to us because like it just jumps to this scene, you know? Yeah. It jumps to the scene where, where Riggs is questioning a hooker. Uh, uh, Murtaugh is across the street watching kind of undercover and, uh, Riggs is quite, has a picture of um, Amanda that he's showing to the hooker, trying to get information about uh, the guys that she's been with. And then out of nowhere, Mr. Joshua shows up in a car and, starts shoot, and shoots Riggs with a shotgun blast and hurls him into a storefront window, shattering the window. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I like how— car pulls off. I, and I like how Riggs— um, you know, pushes the the prostitute out of the way, you know, and then just yeah, fucking he, he takes it. He takes it to the fucking chest. 
and takes goes, it like a man. He takes it like a fucking man. He gets hit. He takes that shot to the chest like a man. He's not, a, he's not just a man. He's a man's man. <laughs> Murtaugh runs over thinking he's dead, realizes that Riggs has a vest on, relieved that he has a vest on. Riggs is like passed out, but when he comes to, he he immediately jumps up. I love that. And he's kind of freaked out. I think this is the moment in the movie, maybe earlier, when my brother, watching it with my brother, he's like, you know, Mel Gibson would have made a perfect Wolverine just in, in, in if they had made the X-Men movie back in the 80s. Yeah, he was always my fantasy casting for Wolverine as a kid. Yeah. And so Murtaugh goes, wow, two inches higher, that would have, they would have got your head. Riggs goes <laughs> two, inches, two lower. inches lower. I would have been in falsetto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Riggs says, oh, by the way, the guy who shot me, same guy who did Huntsacker, albino jackrabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I never forget an asshole. And uh, and then Murtaugh's like, well, so what do we do now? And Riggs is like, get a first-class ticket to Detroit. I'm like, did, why, why do you want to go to Detroit? <laughs> is that where you want to go to hide out? <laughs> Riggs is like, we got to bury these fuckers. We got to solve this. If we do, we could get famous, you know, do shaving ads and shit. Murtaugh says, knowing our luck, we could do forest lawn ads. In, in forest lawn is a LA, um, a famous LA uh, cemetery. Yes. Which implies that, yeah, if this goes wrong, they're dead. Yep. And I love this. I, I love when Riggs goes, bullshit. We got the edge, Cochise. They think I'm dead, Roger, a corpse. And he winks at him. And Murtaugh smiles and winks back and says, brilliant. And I love that because they're like, they're on the same page. Yep. yep. Murtaugh's fired up. Yep. He's getting his like young juice back in him. Uh, and then the dis- there's a dispatcher on the, on the radio over their squad car calls in and says, we got a body. And Murtaugh says, you know, give it to somebody else. The person on dispatch says, well, it was given to you because it's two blocks from your house. And Murtaugh goes, yeah, right. Well, did he have... Did the guy have blonde hair and big dimples? Dispatcher goes, how'd you know? Suddenly, Murtaugh is very shaken by that. Yeah, reality sets in. Grabs Riggs, they get into the car, and then he goes, they just described the kid that's dating my daughter. Yeah. They blaze on down the road with a sweet score. Like, the music that's playing at this point is really, really good. Yeah. And they drive to Murtaugh's home. And they go dark. I know. I don't understand why they had to say that in ADR when they turned off the lights and everything. I guess probably maybe test audience didn't. Someone thought it was uh, a little confusing, so they had a little ADR. And Murtaugh's like, "We're gonna go dark," and they turn off the headlights and everything. Yeah, no, I, that's you're probably spot on with that. They tested it and they're like, "Well, we gotta add that in because people are stupid." Yeah. Um. So they get to the house with their guns drawn. They get to they get in, go inside the house kick the door open they find a note on the door says your daughter looks really pretty naked and at this point Murtaugh realizes they got his daughter Rianne Trish appears at the steps finally after hearing the door get kicked in yeah they draw their guns on her the kids come out and ask what happened Murtaugh says nothing Trish yells at the kids to go back to their rooms she comes down halfway to the hallway phone rings Murtaugh picks it up. Joshua is on the other line. He says, you have a very beautiful daughter. Stick by the phone so you know where to meet us. Click. Murtaugh says, they got my kid. Bastard took my baby and uh, walks over to his wife to hold her and hug her. Riggs hangs up the phone looking like this is serious shit. 
and then the scene fades out. And, you know, I, I feel like, so the whole scene with him having dinner with the family was absolutely necessary for Riggs now to be completely emotionally invested in Murtaugh's family to, to now he's, I mean, he's going to start putting his neck out type of thing. Like, like you're risking his own life. And I don't think we would have gotten there if we didn't have that scene with him having dinner with the family. Totally. Every character that you get introduced to and every scene makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that even the, the scene where Riggs gets blasted, that's that sets up the whole point of like them thinking he's dead. Yep, ex- exactly. Nothing is wasted here. It's a very tight script. Cut back to awesome character McCaskey. Yeah, McCaskey. And this is what I was saying before. He does his job here. I like that he's not bumbling. No, he's cool. He's cool. I'm like, I want to see more of this guy. Yeah. He's uh, looking out the window at the police station. Phone rings. Answers the phone. It's Joshua pretending to be from KCOP News. And he says, an officer was shot. Could you give us more info? McCaskey says, Sergeant Riggs was killed. Who is this? And then Joshua says, we'll send somebody over. Click. Hangs up. McCaskey just smiles. And I love how McCaskey got, has like a sly smile on his face because he knows. Like, yeah, we got those fuckers, yep. right? Cut back to Joshua, and Joshua's saying to the general, bingo, Riggs is out of the picture. General says, I want Murtaugh taken alive. Joshua says, he may not talk. General says, we have his little girl. He'll talk. Cut back to Murtaugh's house. This is a great scene. Riggs and Murtaugh are in the living room. Lit by the Christmas tree, so I love that. The right by the Christmas tree looking kind of like forlorn. And Riggs says, you know they're going to kill her. Murtaugh says, yeah. He says, you want her back? You got to take her away from them. And Murtaugh says, I know. Rick says, we do this my way. You shoot, you shoot to kill. You get as many as you can. Don't miss. All you got to do is not miss. And Murtaugh says, I won't miss. I love it. There's no joking here. It's just no. seriousness. And that's what I, like, I think that's what kind of killed me a little bit as the mo- movies moved forward. There was too much, like, everything's going to be okay. Right. You don't know what's, at this point, you don't know that there's going to be three more sequels at this point. No, you know? no, you don't. And And because... Right now, they're building the formula. I, I'd say probably Lethal Weapon 2 becomes the formula, and then moving forward, that's it. But here, they're building everything from scratch. Yep, yep. You know, Riggs says, we're going to get bloody on this one. And he goes, you're going to have to trust me. And Murtog says, are you really crazy, or are you just as good as they say you are? And then suddenly the phone rings. Riggs says, here we go. Murtog picks up the phone and the camera pans to photos of Murtaugh with his kids. And Joshua says, we don't want your daughter. We want to know what Hunsacker told you. Dry Lake, Victorville tomorrow. Click. Which is so funny because it's like, I know people could go, this could have been handled so much easier. They just ask him over the phone, what did Hunsacker tell you? (laughs) And then have it over. But this is the 80s and it's a movie and lose yourself and fuck off. Of course. And fucking Victorville. God damn it. (laughs) Man, I was uh, during the Thanksgiving break, I was driving back from Vegas and we were driving through these towns and I'm like, there was a time 30, 40, 50 years ago that these places were thriving. Now they're just like, you know, dead pit stops to fill up your gas tank and that's it. Yep. Just dead. And how far away is Victorville from L.A.? About three hours ish, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say. I'd say about that. This, I mean, this looks like 
a lot of Southern California. Yeah. Once you go inland, it's just desert. Yep. But yeah. Once you're and out I of love this and I love certain things about this scene do, that I didn't pick up on as a kid. Do, do you love uh, Riggs's uh, khaki camouflage? Camel. Yep, exactly. So, so cut to Murtaugh driving down a desert road, not even a road, just in the desert to the, the point that he's supposed to meet his daughter. But he stops along the way and drops off Riggs, who runs into who runs into the desert. Yes, like you said, Corey, totally camouflaged in khaki. I love it. Yeah. So smart. smart. And I didn't pick up on that as a kid, you know? Me neither, dude. But I'm watching it now, and I'm like, oh, he's head-to-toe khaki. Oh, that's camouflage. It, you can't right? see him. I'm like, that's fucking smart. Murtaugh pulls up to the, uh, the, the meeting point. In the distance, you see a helicopter, an SUV and a limousine driving towards him. Now that stuff's cliche. Back then, it was badass. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's also shot very awesomely here, better than than most other cliche movies shoot it. I, I love the the long shot where everything is so out of focus because of the heat, and it's all, like, blurry and everything. I, I think that's awesome. So good. And, and Murtaugh and Riggs don't have, like, anything to talk to each other with. Yeah. So, basically, Riggs is watching from a distance through a scope on his rifle. And Murtaugh is waiting for the Mercs to arrive with his daughter. They pull up. Uh, bald guy gets <laughs> out. Balding guy who looks like a uh, cross between um, uh, the right. villain from RoboCop and Phil Collins put together. Yeah, for me, he was giving me more um, shock treatment vibes. What's that guy's name? He was in um, oh. Rembrandt or something in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah, and from Dark City. Yeah, kind of looks like, to me, kind of looked like that guy. Yeah. But uh, did you see our man Sven Olthornson, uh is, is a part of the crew, though? He sure is. He gets a casting credit. He gets a credit in this. Yeah. So, my <laughs> gosh, that guy we got to get on our show eventually down the road. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they all the mercs step out. There's like fifty or fifteen or twenty of them, and you know Murtaugh says he's alone, and he says he wants to see his daughter. The merc he's talking to is like, you know, simple exchange. You come with us. The girl takes a walk. And Murtaugh says, "Well, let her go now." And the guy says, "As I said, this is interesting because he goes, as I said, take your hands out of your pockets." Yeah, but he didn't say that. That's not what he said the first anyways. So Murtaugh says, sure thing, pal. He pulls his hands out and he's got a grenade. He pulls his hands out of his pockets and he's got a grenade in one hand. Yeah. He goes, it's alive. Let her go or we all die. Suddenly, Mr. Joshua walks out and says he's bluffing. He wouldn't risk killing his daughter. Murtaugh says, don't push me. If she's going to die, she'll die with me on my way, not yours. Yeah. Which I yeah. love. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Joshua's walking towards Murtaugh. Riggs cut to Riggs, and he's like trying to get a shot on Joshua, but Murtaugh's in the way, and he's asking, he's telling Roger to move out of the way, but obviously he can't hear him. So finally, they pull out Rianne out of the limo. She yells out to her dad, and he's telling her everything's going to be okay. And there, there's kind of like a standoff. Joshua was telling him to drop the grenade. He's like, don't be foolish. Look at the hardware. And Murtaugh's like, I do and we die. And, Mr. and Joshua goes, I don't think so. And then he quickly pulls the gun out and shoots Murtaugh in the shoulder. Yep. Murtaugh throws the grenade. It rolls towards the mercs. They dive for cover. 
but then it kind of just blows. It's like a, it's like a. I think there's a smoke grenade. Yeah, smoke even, grenade. Even Mr. Joshua says it's just a smoker. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, it's just a smoker. At that point, that's when Riggs starts shooting everybody. He's first smartly. He shoots uh, the people holding Rianne so she can get away, which you know that was on that was intentional to show that. He shot the twin from Rad, unfortunately. But she doesn't. She just stands there screaming, no. and yeah, I'm yeah. and I'm screaming the same way Murtaugh's screaming, which is get in the car, go run, bitch, right? run. Murtaugh tells her to get in the get in the limo and take off, and she does. She finally drives off. Uh, Murtaugh is behind his car, and. It's getting shot to shit. Shot to shit. Riggs is shooting at, trying to get a shot on Joshua, but doesn't get him. He's got one shot on Joshua. He's about to take the hit, and then he hears a click right behind his head, and it's the general with an M16 cocked and locked. Ah, man, that's so, so good. I like this. I love it. I love that the general figured it out. He's like, you know what? I don't know. I guarantee you didn't know it was going to be Riggs. He probably thought Riggs was dead, but like, he's like, if they come in this way, he's going to drop somebody off over here. I'm going to go over here and wait, basically. Exactly. And he says, don't try it, son. You're not that fast. Drop the rifle. He talks into his walkie-talkie to Joshua, and he says, I got rigs. At that point, Murtog tries to run away from the car, but he's getting shot too many times around him. He puts his hands up, drops his gun that he has on the ground, and cuts back to the general and Riggs. And Riggs says, you're General Peter McAllister, commander of Shadow Company. General says, I see we've heard of each other. And Riggs says, yeah, it'll almost be a shame when I nail you. I ran into some of those Shadow Company pussies in Saigon in 69. And the general goes, oh, did you? Cut back to Rianne, who's trying to get away in the limo. But a helicopter is following after her and it like lands on the car, pushing it down, which eventually pops one of the tires and the car kind of just crashes into tumbleweeds. And she gets out of the car, but she tries to run away, but it's too late. And she's saying, you know, leave me alone. It's great helicopter stunt work, by the way, like some of the best helicopter work I've ever seen. Sure is. Yes. And they've got. The upper hand, at this point, it's Shadow Company 1, Lethal Weapon 0. Yep, and like in every script, there's always the darkest moment before the climax. The The second act always ends with our heroes at their lowest, and that's this. And one gets it really bad. One, <laughs> They both get it pretty bad, but in one different gets ways, it a yeah. whole lot worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion you're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Cut to back to that warehouse area of the club. Right. And Riggs is uh, chained up 
hanging from a uh, hook uh, and he's shirtless. And Joshua's there and he introduces Endo to Riggs. Our man, Aliong, dude. Aliong, uh, best fight scene ever, in my opinion, for an American martial art movie or action movie is Rapid Fire with Brandon mm. Lee. He has mm. an epic, it's like a one to two minute fight scene with Brandon Lee, but it's so good. And it's so cool that Aliong gets spotlit at a, in, in a mid 90s movie at this point yeah. of his career where he wasn't really, they had, you know, they could, the other like bigger names could have been used, but I'm like, I'm glad they use Al Leon because the guy's badass and he's fighting Brandon Lee. If you've yeah. never seen that, go check it out. It's a good, it's a great movie. I love that movie. And of course, like nowadays he's become more like popular and, and everyone sort of as like basically the ultimate movie henchman, essentially. Exactly. And, uh, and I think it's probably the, the most popular he's ever been is probably right now. Yeah, I think so. Of course, Riggs says something racist. Shocker that Mel Gibson would say something racist. He says, yeah, who's was... the chin, which I think is slang. I think, yeah, I think so too. And I was like, oh, come on, really? Yeah. And Joshua says, don't make him mad. Uh, he says, Endo, meet Mr. Martin Riggs. Uh, Endo's forgotten more about dispensing pain than you will ever know. <laughs> Riggs goes, terrific. <laughs> Joshua says, see, Martin, we have a problem. Since we have Murtog, we don't really need you, but I believe in being thorough. Our problem, and yours too, is that we have some merchandise to deliver, a rather large shipment. We're all very excited. It would be very unfortunate, however, if we showed up, and then Riggs is like, why don't you guys call it heroin? And he goes, it would be unfortunate if we showed up with our heroin, and we were surrounded by 50 cops. And Riggs (laughs) is like, yeah, that would be bad. Joshua says, indeed. So it's essential that we find out how much the cops know. Riggs is like, we don't know shit. You did Hansacker before we could talk. And Joshua's like, no, no. Gets upset. He's like, I wish I could believe you. Unfortunately, I don't. So if you will be kind enough to tell us all you know, I will kill you quickly. And Riggs is like, I told you everything. And he calls Endo over and he says, I'll tell you what this is. It's called shock treatment. And he starts saying, like, basically, uh, Endo has a battery, car battery, hooked up to cables with a wet sponge. And uh, Riggs is hanging underneath a pipe that's leaking water out on top of him, so he's soaked. Yeah, yeah. And Riggs Riggs is like, I guess we're in for a long night, because I don't know shit. But he looks really nervous. And Joshua goes, well, we'll see. Because he's about to get some pain. <laughs> and they start the process of shocking the shit out of Riggs. And, it, and Riggs is... So Joshua's like pushing Riggs into the sponges. Uh, Endo's torturing the hell out of him. Every time Riggs... Or every time Joshua pushes him, he kind of gets shocked too. So he's yeah. like shaking his hands off. Yeah, I like that. I like that they, they kind of remembered that. Or sort of like the actors knew what to do there. But dude... Mel Gibson, he's he's screaming. I, I totally I totally buy that Riggs is in immense pain here. Yes, he's getting just like destroyed. He lets out a the like the the most agonizing scream. And then you cut to Murtaugh getting pummeled and hit in the face in another room and screaming. Yeah. Um the general asks Murtaugh about the shipment and Murtaugh says, go spit, which he says a couple times. And I'm like, I don't get that. If that's I, I, oh, sure, go spit. Uh, 
And then, you know, because he's not giving up any information, the general says to one of his men to get the salt to basically pour in the wound. The wound, he's the shoulder the wound, shoulder the, wound. The, the, the the gunshot wound that he has in his fucking shoulder. I was like, oh, fuck. And even Myra, when she was watching me, she, watching the movie with me, she was like, which one would you rather do? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, maybe Riggs, I guess, because I guess there's no physical damage to your body or something, but... I mean, I've only been electrocuted like like twice, like touching a socket. It's not fun. It's not. I don't think either of these are fun options. You know, no, they're both terrible. I would probably take the salt in the wound versus Oof. the shocking. Okay, if okay. I had to. And let's be honest, Riggs probably pissed or shit himself, right? Oh, he must have. He must have. <laughs> yeah, because you're cutting at this point. You're kind of cutting back and forth between Murtog and Riggs getting tortured. And finally, you cut to Endo talking to Joshua, and he's like, he would have told us something by now. He didn't know shit. We're safe. Nobody can take that. Which is a lot of dialogue for Al Leong, and I'm, I'm happy about it. I know, me too. And, and Joshua's like, ah, oh, badass, huh? And then he says, I'm going to go upstairs and deal with him, meaning Murtaugh. Mm-hmm. Cut to Rianne in a night now in a nightgown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being uh, brought into the room with uh, her dad Murtog by one of the Mercs, who's wearing sunglasses, by the way. Of course, I mean, of course. There's there's a few generic Mercs in here. There's a few. Gen- I always reminded of um, the line Richard Pryor said a uh, long time ago. He said, "If you wear your sunglasses indoors, you're an asshole." <laughs> I remember that line. I, was it one of his stand-ups or something? Yeah, it, I think so. Uh, because it's in my head sometimes when I see people with a fucking uh, glasses on inside. It's the right? Richard Pryor is in my fucking head saying that. <laughs> so funny. Anyways, Brienne gets brought in. She hugs her dad, and they pull her away from her dad. They hook her up. Murtaugh's screaming out now, you know, Bastards, untie me. I'll kill every one of you. General's like, tell me what you know. And you cut back to Riggs with Endo. It's, and it's just him and Endo now. Just him and Endo. And Endo's like, sorry, pal. Say goodnight. <laughs> and then suddenly, out of nowhere, Riggs headbutts Endo and then wraps his, leg, wraps his legs around Endo's neck and strangles him with his legs. Fucking awesome. It's a great scene. Like, it's badass. And Riggs yeah. is like, cut the shit. You yeah. must have had uh, Diet Coke the night before and, uh, and, and water because he's like totally ripped or no water. Yeah. He gets himself free fairly easily at this point because he's probably running on adrenaline. You cut back to the Murtaugh with the general and he's looking at Rianne, the general is, and he goes, real good looking young woman, Mr. Murtaugh. And Murtaugh's like, God damn it, I told you everything. And g- the general's like, well, we'll soon, we'll soon know, won't we? And then Murtaugh says, I'm warning you, don't. And General's like, oh, son, spare me. It's over, Sergeant. There's no more heroes left in the world. Suddenly. I love this. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. There's no more heroes left in the world. And then, boom, Riggs busts in shooting. And I was like, you you know, again, this movie's not about one character or the other. But clearly in this moment, Riggs is the hero. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Riggs is the younger one. He's more of the badass. He's got more of the death wish, so he's got maybe more of that attitude to just get not give a fuck and go for it. Rianne, this is cool, because as soon as 
Briggs busts open and starts basically killing everybody in the in the room. Joshua was not there, by the way. No. And the general gets away. But Rianne gets herself free. Murtaugh winks at Riggs after everything's said and done. And he says, pretty thin, huh? And Riggs <laughs> says, anorexic. <laughs> like the thin thing goes back and forth. Yeah, I think that's I love the last that. time they talk about it. But I like it, too. But I like it, yeah. And then Riggs says a stupid line. He's like, let's let's do what one shepherd says to the other. Let's get the flock out of here. It didn't need that. Didn't think it was funny. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny, Jack. So I love this now because they arm up. They take all their weapons and they arm up and they basically grab some clothes to cover themselves because Riggs was shirtless, right, and barefoot. They're leaving through the warehouse. They see a blonde guy with a gun. They shoot him and they're like, it's not him. It's not Joshua. Yeah, <laughs> which means they had to they had to get another blonde like stunt person to do that. You know? Probably was his stunt double. You know, that's uh, good. Good point. Good point. They, but uh, I do, I, I do like how they, they, they kind of kick in the door for the club and yeah. immediately shoot that fucking Gustav, the, um, the, the shitty shock treatment looking guy. You know, they do, but he's the bartender. They shoot the bartender first. Yeah, they shoot the bartender, and he goes, "Ow!" Ah. <laughs> it's the funniest ow, but but no one hears it because the shitty band is playing yeah. over the music, over yeah. the shots. I love that until <laughs> until they're band. making their way out of there and a couple goons come up and they have to plug them. I like shootouts in clubs and weirdly I like it when other people can't hear the gunfire, yes. you know, until it like sort of is in their face. I think it's, I like this little micro scene cause it's, it's over really quick. I'm, I, me too. And I'm sure people now in today's day after all the horrible tragedies that have happened, probably oh, yeah, can't true. watch this scene with the same lens. But if you try and remove yourself, it's, it's a, it's a, kick-ass scene because Riggs and Murtaugh and Rianne are just making their way out of the club just trying to survive they see Joshua Joshua's now on the run little bitch yep. and uh shooting back at them like a bitch like a little bitch and he exits Hollywood Boulevard he gets in oh he runs over to a lady in her car forces her to stop and he pulls her out of the car by her hair little bitch and Riggs runs storms out with Rianne and Murtaugh. Did you see the um, the movie uh, uh, across the street from them? It was playing Deadly Friend. Oh, yes. Nice. Nice <laughs> shout out. Yeah. Hell yeah. Shout so, out to so, uh, David Irons. He loves Deadly Friend. Yeah, dude. So I'll let you finish the scene, but I'll just say this right here. This is when my wife perked up the most. She was like, two things. She used to live off of like one of those side streets. I think she actually saw it. She was like, I used to live like right over there. She used to live right off of Hollywood Boulevard. You know, she was born in 88. So she grew up there late 80s, early 90s when it was a shithole. But she was like, I remember those 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 decorations that they the holiday decorations that they put up and all that kind of stuff. So this whole right this this whole scene right here, the whole Highland, Hollywood and Highland area. This was all my wife's uh, neighborhood growing up, essentially, as a kid. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well. Well, you see a lot of Hollywood in Los Angeles in this scene because it it starts a really awesome chase scene. It's yeah. car versus human. And uh, Riggs runs after Joshua as he drives off down the road, shooting at him. And Murtaugh tries to catch up, but at first but but first and smartly a, a, a cop rolls up on Murtaugh and Rianne, telling them to freeze. Murtaugh says, Look, I'm a cop, look at my badge. 
take the girl and, call, and get out of here. Call back backup. Yeah, and call backup, which is smart. They, they yep. cover all the bases. Yep. Murtaugh runs off with Riggs as well. They run down the street, and Murtaugh kind of signals that he can't keep up with Riggs, but he tells him to go to the tells Riggs to go to the freeway, and then he lays down near a light pole. So you see Riggs run off, chase after Joshua, and then Murtaugh laying down says, "General McAllister, time for you to die." <laughs> time he for gets you back to die. up <laughs> and runs off, takes off, and then he cut back to Joshua in the car. Now, Riggs is like basically running through side streets to get to Joshua, knowing he's headed to the freeway. He's shooting at Joshua every time he sees him. And then finally, he shoots at Joshua enough times that he, as Joshua's getting on the freeway, that he sets his car on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Joshua continues to drive down the road in a flaming car and hits a, uh, a pole, knocking it out, hit, kind of passes out for a minute. Riggs is making his way down to the car as fast as he can, but Joshua exits the car, now on foot. They're shooting at each other on the freeway. Joshua carjacks another car, a guy in an Audi, who that guy, by the way, was in big trouble in Little China as well. He was uh, one of the the gang members in the airport. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) And, And he says, mind if I test drive your Audi? And which is kind of s- silly, but whatever, it's fine. Cut to Riggs running after Joshua, almost gets to him, but then a cab hits Riggs. Riggs goes into his windshield. He's now pissed. The yeah. cab driver gets out to see if he can help him, and Riggs is like, you know, don't ah, touch me, don't touch me. Ah, yeah, he knows. And the guy's like, hey man, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> but Riggs, I get it. Riggs is fucking jacked right now. He's, you know what I mean? Oh hell yeah, he's jacked. Riggs like. His gun hit the ground as well. He picks up the gun and runs off as fast as he can. Yeah, but he knows he's lost Joshua at this point, which which yeah. sucks. And side note, I, I just want to say, um, when I was younger and I used to go to the gym much more frequently than I do today, I would be on the treadmill. And, you know, towards the end of my set, I would always put the incline up and just kind of do a real power run. But in my head... I was Riggs, and it was actually uh, Lethal Weapon 2 is the beginning when he gets out of the car and sort of runs up the on-ramp to go after which uh, uh, go after Drake um, yeah, from Aliens is, is in that one. Um, our, our boy right. Mark Ralston, who we interviewed, so go check, our, go check out our interview with Mark Ralston. But I used to do that. I used to fucking do the incline up as high as possible, set the speed for us, you know, and I would just run for as fast as I could. But in my head, it was... I was fucking Martin Riggs, dude. That's hilarious. That's, that's how much these this fucking this this movie, the second movie, the series is just ingrained into my DNA, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, look, man, I feel you. I have like been influenced by seeing like people running. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. run like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. I totally get it. Uh, now we the whole time I'm like, what the hell happened to the general? Well, we're going to find out. We cut back to the same warehouse where the shootout was because the general never left. Yeah. What he was doing is he's packing up all his heroin and guns and weapons and shit to get out of town. And grenades. And grenades. That's important to point out. General calls to open up the garage door to, lead to uh, that leads to an alley out of Hollywood Boulevard. And as it does, that's Murtaugh's waiting for him. And I like how Murtaugh, as, as the car's coming down at him, he says something like, no way you're surviving this one. You know, no way you're making it out of here. Talking yeah, to the general, says, essentially. Yeah, he kind of adjusts his neck and he goes, no way you live. No yeah. way. 
and the general's like, kill that cop, son of a bitch, to his uh, driver. The driver starts driving towards Murtaugh. Murtaugh, one shot, dead bang, nails the driver in the head. This is hilarious because now the general's trying to drive the car from the passenger side with the dead body next to it. He drives it out onto Hollywood Boulevard, and it gets the car gets T-boned, T-boned. by a big bus. <laughs> yeah, it dude. not only T-bones it, it flips the car over in a really dramatic crash scene. It's a great crash scene. It's fantastic. And my only takeaway is Murtaugh doing that, you know, and shooting that guy right there, uh, the driver. It feels like a prequel to uh, part two when, you know, diplomatic immunity and then he does that head thing and kills the guy and he's like, it's just been revoked. You know, it feels like he didn't get, you know, I wish he sort of shot the the general here, but I get it because that would have just left the driver alive. And, you know, who, what are you going to do with that? You know, but it feels like in part two, they took this right here and gave Murtaugh a bigger sort of kill in part two. Yes, I know. Like they, they yeah, they kind of took tropes from this and improved upon them or made them bigger, not improved upon them. But what I like about this is it still feels like cops doing their job. Like yes. the guy's driving him. It's self-defense where he hits the driver, right? Yeah. Um, and we'll get to Joshua what happens with that too. But it feels like this makes sense. He's not just killing the guy in the passenger seat because that wouldn't be self-defense. The driver right. almost killing him was self-defense. Yeah. And, and-, and he doesn't kill the general. The general dies in another way in just a second. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. And I wouldn't be surprised – if I watched uh, Lethal Weapon 2 now and actually thought Lethal Weapon 1 was better. You know what I mean? Because I, I think that's probably the case. I think so. I think so. But I, I'll, I'll hold my f- true feelings until I watch it again. Yeah. But so now uh, the general is stuck in the car. It's covered in – there's heroin everywhere. The car's on fire. Uh, the general sees the grenades. He's trying to reach the grenades, I guess, to throw them out of the car before it's too late. Yeah. But it is too late because suddenly the car explodes in a big ball of flame, including the heroin going everywhere. So there's a smoke of heroin all around all the onlookers <laughs> who are watching on Hollywood Boulevard. They got a treat, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't even pick up on that, but you're 100% correct. They just got everybody high. <laughs> Because they cut to a couple people watching, and I'm like, those guys are high. They're high. They're so high. Riggs comes back to the the scene of the crime where the explosion is, sees Murtaugh, and Riggs reveals that he didn't catch Joshua. Murtaugh is freaking out now, and and he goes and commandeers a cop car right away, and Riggs is like, what's up? What's going on? And Murtaugh's like, he says, that son of a bitch knows where I live. And they get in the car, and they drive off. I'm surprised Riggs didn't put that together, you know, because he was they were already there. So I'm 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 always a little bit surprised that Riggs is like, well, what are you so upset about? You know, and and I like the fact, honestly, I like the fact that, you know, uh, Joshua got away because it, you know, it, it, you know, moving forward, Riggs and Murtaugh are going to be kind of infallible, you know, as the action heroes. But here, like you said, it's a bit more it's trying to be a bit more accurate. And yeah, Riggs just it, he didn't ha- it didn't happen for him. And even says, like, you know, fucking fire me. Like, I, I'm sorry, like, you know, because Murtaugh was upset, you know, and I, I yeah. like all that, you know, but but Riggs hasn't put it together yet, which is I find a little bit weird because I feel like Riggs would have been sharper than that, you know? 
Yeah, it's a little loose. It's a little loose. It doesn't really track, but but I'll chalk it up with Riggs being a little out of it from getting tortured. How about that? Yeah, he's he's out of it. His <laughs> adrenaline is blown from running and everything. And you yeah. know what? It, ultimately, it's not his family, so he's not going to probably ultimately think about them right away like Murtaugh would. But I'll, I'll give it a pass, too. Uh, I would rather keep this scene in and that stuff and have and take out all the FAG stuff and, and everything like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cut to the Murtaugh outside of Murtaugh's home later that night, and an Audi is rolling up on a cop car that's outside the home. Poor beat cops. I I hate it when the the guard cops get killed. And they're so nice. They're like, "Excuse me, sir. May we help you?" And Joshua goes, "No, thank you," and blasts both of them with a gun, killing yeah. both of them. The cop car apparently was in neutral, uh, or maybe yeah, the shifter yeah. moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I the know. car rolls over a fire hydrant, causing water to spray out everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I even watching it twice, once for funsies, once for you know the 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 notes and everything. I was like, eh, why why did it roll forward? <laughs> oh, because you needed the the water to be spraying. Like you know the the movie called for that to happen yes and by the way the horn was uh, uh the one cop you know head first on the horn causing it to honk but the honking stopped once joshua oh. showed up at their house yeah i know i Whatever. know yeah it's okay i know so, like okay. i said i think this is what i was referring to at the very beginning where i said this movie isn't perfect but it, it i mean it's damn near perfect you pretty know? damn close joshua gets it to their house starts shooting the shit out of everything walks in the house House is empty. Not surprising. The the family's gone, right? They got him out before. They probably evacuated them immediately because the TV's still playing. Joshua sees that it's playing Christmas Carol, and he yells at the TV, Goddamn Christmas, and he shoots the TV. <laughs> so this is that. like a legit Christmas movie, just like yeah. Die Hard. I love that there's even a discussion, like a, a debate, that these movies are not Christmas movies because they clearly are. <laughs> They're so Christmas movies. <laughs> and then Joshua says, I'll give you a home to come back to. And he starts walking around the house and he gets into uh, the living room and there's a note in the living room that says, dear bad guys, no one here but us cops. Sorry, the good guys. <laughs> and so the plan is to just trash Murtaugh's house. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Joshua starts swearing. He's losing his shit. And as he walks towards the door, a police car crashes through the front of their living room. Joshua turns, starts shooting the shit out of the out of the police car. But when he goes over to the driver's seat, there's no one in there. There is a, a billy club pushed down on the accelerator. And as he realizes what has happened, you hear a little whistle and Riggs pops out of nowhere with a gun drawn on Joshua and takes Joshua's gun. It's fucking great. <laughs> as he's walking Joshua out onto the grass of the house, Murtaugh says, you're looking for your general friend? He's barbecuing his nuts on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> Riggs says, what do you say, Jack? You want a shot at the title? Kind of because Joshua's got this look on his face like he wants to fight Riggs. Yeah. And Joshua says, don't mind if I do. And then next thing you know, they start fighting each other. They start beating the shit out of each other. Cops pull up and Murtaugh holds them off. And he says, I'll take responsibility of this scene. This son of a bitch just killed two of our own. 
And I, I like there was a there was like a female beat cop there. She had her gun drawn and she kind of puts it away. Side note, there's a lot of female cops in this movie, and I like that. I like that they don't it's not just all dudes, you know? Yeah. And what I like about the scene is that Murtaugh keeps reminding everybody that he's in control of the, of the scene. He'll uh, he'll take responsibility. Riggs is fine. Like he's kind of trying to control the fact that all these cops keep rolling up and saying, it's okay. It's okay. Let this continue because this normally would never be okay. Right. This, this fight that's going to happen. But like, and even like there's a shot from inside one of the cop cars where it's like over the dispatch, it says like until the, the, the duty officer gets there, you know, detective Murtaugh is, is in control of the situation. So yeah, they really, because it's such an unbelievable climax that they really hammer home like why this is is allowed to happen. Yes, yes. And and it's a wild fight. At one point yeah. Riggs lets out a drop kick and like a yeah, gives out a key. I'd like that because he kind of puts his arms up and then fucking kicks him in the chest. Yeah, it's a it's a great fight, dude. Um, actually, I did a watch list with Mike uh, uh, Petchy, and uh, this it was a uh, fights in the rain, and okay. this was one of my picks, even though it's not technically rain, but you know I called an audible, and it's one of my I, I ever since I was a kid I've loved this fight. There's one part of it that I fucking hate. And you'll get to it, but it's it's at the end because I hate post production slow motion. I think it looks like complete trash. But um, you know, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, okay. the fight itself is fucking awesome. And what's funny about this scene is that Murtaugh is cheering on Riggs like he's yeah. in a boxing match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at one point, Joshua grabs like a pipe, and then uh, Murtaugh throws Riggs a baton. Yep. <laughs> They start battling each other back and back. They start battling each other back and forth. It's really badass. I, I love that. And finally, Joshua gets the upper hand on Riggs, uh, pushing his face into the mud where he's almost kind of drowning him in the water of the mud. And Mur- Murtaugh's like, come on, let, let me in there. Let me do it. Please, please, let me yeah, do he it. He says, please. He goes, yeah. please, please, let me do it. And I was like, it didn't like that. Could I would have cut that dialogue. Yeah. But I like how Riggs is like, no. no. And then he, he rises up, you know? Yeah. He rises up and he gets Joshua in a legit like MMA chokehold, which I think is like, uh, you know, Hoist Gracie, that, that uh, what do you call it, jujitsu. Yeah, the, the the leg the leg hold thing on the ground kind of starts choking him out. And as unrealistic as the sort of the the fight itself is, I like that how it ends like this because that's how fucking all fights end. They all end on the ground, and if and whoever has better ground control is is the one that's going to win. And I I mean, dude. I liked MMA fighting back in the day when it was like blood sport, when it was like a sumo wrestler versus like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a boxer, you know, but all those fights, they also wound up on the ground and whoever had best ground control won. So now like MMA fighting is just its own thing. Like, you know, there's no more straight sumo wrestlers versus straight boxers. It's like now you just know everything. And I just I don't know. I just feel like it gets it's homogenized. But Coming back to, to Lethal Weapon, I like how the fight ends on the ground with Riggs fucking basically choking out Mr. Joshua with his legs because I think that's realistic. Yeah, yeah. And and I and what I love about this, too, is because the whole time in my mind I'm going, well, if he kills the guy, like Riggs will be held responsible for that. But he doesn't. But he does. He finally says it's not worth it before yep. he snaps his neck and he leaves Joshua. 
even though Murtaugh is yelling, break his neck, kill him. Yeah, which which I'm like, that's kind of, I didn't like that either. No, no, I actually think that's good because Murtaugh has more emotional investment in this fight because of his family. If Murtaugh fought Mr. Joshua, he would have killed Mr. Joshua. We never would have had a sequel because Murtaugh technically would have had to go to jail. You have to have Riggs fight Mr. Joshua because even though, you know, you there is a connection with his family, it's still not his family. So we can still think a little bit more rationally. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. So he leaves Joshua on the ground. Riggs walks over to, to Murtaugh, kind of collapses into his arms, which I really love. Yep. Because he's it. holding them. He's like, you know, basically, come on, buddy. And then the cops go to arrest Joshua. But in that classic slow-mo, Joshua <laughs> grabs the gun from one of the cop's holsters and goes to try and use it on Murtaugh and Riggs. Murtaugh and Riggs at the exact same time pull their respective pieces out and fire on Joshua, killing him dead. I love that they both shoot him. So again, going back to your point, this movie's not one of them is not the star over the other. They are both equal. I just hate post-production slow-mo. It looks like trash. The only way to do slow motion is in camera, but you have to plan for it, which means they did not plan on that this shot being slow motion. They probably saw that it was too fast when in regular motion, and they were like, we want to make this more emphasized, so let's do uh, slow motion in post-production, and I think I just, I hate it. I always hate post-production slow motion. I hear you. I hear you on that. I hear you on that. I, I do like the fact, though, that they killed him. Yeah. It was self-defense, so it's all good. Yep. Wrapped up. Nice yep, and easy. Yep, wrapped up. From there, you cut to cemetery in the rain. Again, more rain. In the sunny rain. In the sunny rain. It's going to be a rainbow. And Riggs is uh, putting flowers at his wife's grave. I actually really like this scene because you get you get a sense of like how old his wife was and... Uh, he gets up from the, the grave. He's like kneeled down, like looking at the grave, uh, saying Merry Christmas. He says, Merry Christmas, Victoria Lynn. I love you. Uh, and then he gets up and walks away from the grave. And then you see the gravestone. It says Victoria Lynn Riggs, born 1953, died 1984. From there, you cut to Murtaugh's home. The house is like all patched up from the damage it, it had taken. It's got, and, got a plywood front door and everything. Right. Riggs ring, rings the doorbell. Rianne answers the door, like shocked and pleasantly surprised to see Riggs. Uh, they, ex- they exchange pleasantries. And he says, hey, um, I got your dad a Christmas present. Uh, tell him I won't be needing this anymore. And it's a bullet. It's the bullet with a bow around it. Yep, it's the bullet that, that he had that he was telling him about, the hollow point one and everything, yeah. Rianne invites him in, but he says, no, that's okay, I gotta go. And he's he goes, nice to see you, and she goes, you too, and they he leaves. He starts to walk away. Suddenly, Murtaugh runs out and says, after all we've been through, if you think I'm gonna eat the world's lousiest Christmas turkey all by myself, you are nuts. Riggs says, I'll tell you a little secret. I'm not crazy. And then Murtaugh says, I know. And then Riggs goes, well, let's go eat. And as they start walking in the house, he goes, I think your daughter kind of likes me. And Murtaugh <laughs> says, you touch her, I'll kill you. Riggs <laughs> says, you'll try. And then, Murtaugh, and then Riggs says, you mind if I bring a friend? 
and whistles to his dog, the second appearance of his dog. Yeah. <laughs> dog comes in, starts running into the house, and then Murtaugh says, I don't think Burbank, the cat, is going to like this. <laughs> I think he should have just said Burbank, but whatever. Uh, and as he runs in, as the dog runs in, Riggs walks in. Murtaugh's still outside. And Riggs says, I'll put five on the mutt. And suddenly you hear a big crash. Everyone's shouting. Dog's barking. Cat's hissing. Murtaugh's still outside and says, I'm too old for this. <laughs> One more time. And then as the hissing and the barking continue, you hear, I'll be home for Christmas. The Christmas song starts playing out as the camera fades away to black with the credits. And the end of Lethal Weapon. And the end to the beginning of our holiday season, dude. Thank you so much for bringing this to the show. Um, I, you know, I watched this movie so much as a kid, like I said, but I feel like this is the first time I actually watched this movie and Me too. actually Me too. like understood it, absorbed it, saw where the characters are coming from and everything, and it added such a new layer of enjoyment to the to the movie and and moving forward maybe the the franchise itself um i would like to revisit the rest of it you know the rest of them i know they're they're not your favorites but i i grew up with a strong love for the lethal weapon franchise as a whole you know warts and all i very much enjoy this franchise but i think this movie i think it is a singular film if it didn't start a franchise it is such a strong start. It's such a strong movie. It's a strong standalone movie. You have a great beginning, middle, and end. You have characters that don't like each other at the beginning, you know, and they're almost best friends at the end. It's it's fucking awesome, and and I love it. And I love, love, love Lethal Weapon as a Christmas movie. Yeah, I think this actually reignited my love of Lethal Weapon as being a Christmas movie, as being a, a fun uh, movie to watch on on a regular basis, you know, mm -hmm. once a year, once every couple of years, whatever, uh, because I, I enjoyed the hell out of it more now. Well, no, I enjoyed the hell out of it when I was a kid, but man, I enjoyed it a lot more now, I think, from a different perspective. I think what you're trying to say is, and I, I, I feel the same way, I got, I got more out of it now. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I would easily watch this one again. This is one yeah. of our longer pad movies, by the way. This yeah. one was like almost two hours, I think an hour and 46 minutes, 47 minutes, uh, minus the credits. And um, but but so much fun to, to kind of break down and, and dissect. I hope I did it justice because and I job. hope everyone listening, you appreciated uh, that I there were some things I cut out, but I think that I cut out because this movie's so well known. I didn't need to go into too much detail about certain scenes. Um, but man, you know, it, it. You look at these. I'll say it again from the top of the show. It's a shame that we know too much stuff about uh, the people we like to see on screen because it taints our feelings about them. You know, whether it's a musician or whether it's an actor, an artist in general. You know, and it's hard to separate the art from the person. Uh, you can, I think you can do it with this one, no problem, because it's like 87. We didn't know this about Mel Gibson. Um, moving forward, any movie you watch him in now, you might go, eh, this is hard to kind of take uh, because allegedly there is going to be another Lethal Weapon movie. But as a standalone movie, whether or first two or three or four or whatever, <laughs> just all of them. 
as a standalone movie, I love this film. Uh, I think it still holds up remarkably well. Uh, I think the flaws are fine. They're, they're inconsequential compared yeah. to the overall yeah. content of this flick. And this, this movie is a groundbreaking film on many levels. It started a trend that we saw well into the 80s, into the 90s, and then changed as we got into the 2000s. But I'm, I'm glad we brought it to the table. Yeah. Uh, I'm also glad that as we're closing out this year, we have one month left of Patreon-exclusive stuff for 2022. Corey, tell us about the Patreon stuff that Pad is bringing, that Cartwright is bringing, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, we This month, uh, December, we are going to be dropping our Big Trouble in Little China Carpenter Factor episode. So if you haven't jumped on that bandwagon, dude, th- we've done a year of Carpenter movies on the Carpenter Factor. Amazing. It, it's been a blast. Um, guys and gals, we don't break them down completely like we do here, but what we do is we discuss how they fit into his overall uh, body of work. And so we, we were kind of looking at things from a different point of view. We revisited the thing under that uh, guise. And next month in January, we are going to revisit Prince of Darkness, a movie that you already broke down and I you know, proclaimed is one of my favorite Carpenter movies uh, ever since you introduced me to it. And I can't wait to rewatch it next month in, in January. So go check out the Carpenter factor. We have a blast over there. Of course, uh, you know, you sign up to our Patreon, you get every episode of podcast after dark, completely ad free. Um, you also get our monthly wrap up after dark episode. And there's still a shit ton of interviews over there that we are kind of slowly migrating over to the free feed but there's still a boatload that are over on our patreon page we just kind of replaced uh the interviews with the carpenter factor and we're moving the interviews out to the free feed but dude it's we've got so much going on and i love love doing it with you we have a whole pretty much a whole nother year of john carpenter movies uh with 2023 and then zach and i will figure out the next auteur that we are going to tackle so it's it's great shit and we appreciate every single one of you we appreciate all of our patreon supporters because you guys really really uh, help us with your support and everything but zach what is going on in december this is our first movie you know for our, for our holiday season so over on two dollar late fee what do you guys have planned for december i know the warriors is gonna uh, pop up and uh, that was a movie that we broke down and covered but you're gonna be tackling it uh from a different point of view you and dustin as as you want to do so uh what's going on over there well, so we are doing a freeform discussion of the Warriors this time around. Uh, joining us is a Instagram kind of influencer sensation. This guy called that '80s dude. Nice. He's a big, big. Uh, I mean, he's a, he's a big name on on the on the social media circuit, uh, and and he joined us for a really great discussion about the Warriors. The guy is super knowledgeable. Turns out uh, he has a lot of connections with me. A really cool guy, and a really fun in depth discussion about my favorite movie of all time. Then we'll follow that up with an interview with David Patrick Kelly, aka Luther, 
aka T-Bird from the T-Bird! Fire uh, it up! <laughs> from Dreamscape. We yep. talk about Dreamscape. We talk about The Crow. We talk about The Warriors, of course. And we talk about a whole lot more. This dude is phenomenal. And uh, But then we close out on Christmas Day. We're dropping an episode on Christmas Day. We interviewed uh, Zach Ward, aka Scott Farkas, who yeah. was joined us on pad as well way back in the day. And Scott Schwartz, a.k.a. Flick from oh. uh, the, 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 the pole liquor from Christmas Story. Yeah. Um, they joined us to talk about A Christmas Story and the sequel to A Christmas Story, A Christmas Story Christmas. It's a great interview. It was, it was like kind of out of the nowhere. It was kind of out of nowhere, unexpected. But they joined us for an hour discussion. Uh, lots of fun stuff. And that's going f- that, to close out our year on $2 Late Fee. So are they in uh, Christmas Story Christmas? Because that's uh, that's in my queue to watch when my mom comes. So my mom will be here for like two weeks, you know, in the last half of December. So I got to load up on movies that we're going to watch and stuff like that. And uh, I'm going to watch that one with her. They're in that. They reprise the role. They reprise the roles. Yeah. Everybody like every major kid that was in the original one is in this one. Oh, cool. Um, and Have you seen it yet? Did you have you gotten a chance to see it? I did watch it because when I found out we were going to do an interview with them, I said, oh, I better watch this movie. I watched it uh, a couple of days after it came out on HBO Max. Yeah, um, I will say that I think that they are two of the best things from the movie. Okay. Uh, okay. Flick in particular is he's great. Scott Schwartz is so great. Uh, Zach Ward looks like so young. That guy takes really good care of himself, but yeah. really great character twist uh, for him. And there's some moments in it that are laugh out loud for sure. So it's a nice tribute to the original Christmas story and Darren McGavin. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm excited to watch it with my mom. And then of course, listen to the interview over at $2 Lafey. So, uh, I know you all check out that show. I know there's a lot of cross pollination for listeners and everything. And, uh, you know, we appreciate each and every one of you all. And thank you for going on this journey with us for the almost, you know, probably at this point, trimmed down three hours and it's you know, 35 minutes or so. So thanks for listening to fucking Lethal Weapon, you know, and cue the fucking saxophone. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. (laughs) 